Hey, I'm Nate Flax. I'm Noah Longworth-McGuire. And this is Talking Lion. Talking Lion is a podcast focused on artist-to-artist conversation. We're primarily artists, a duo called Sleeping Lion, but we've been lucky enough to write, produce, and hang out with so many incredible rising artists since we started our project. Whether it's at sessions or parties or over cups of coffee, we've talked with our creative friends about everything. Music, life, love, and all the subtle complexities that come with being in the middle of a journey. Talking Lion is about hitting record in these conversations and sharing them with you. There's no real structure, nothing really prepared, just friends talking about life and what it's been like and where it's going. We recorded this episode with our friend Johan Lennox. I first got in touch with Johan over Instagram DM following the release of his single, Everybody's Cool But Me. We eventually met up and spent a few hours hitting it off while walking around Silver Lake. Some context for this interview. We talked to Johan a few weeks before he released his debut album titled Everybody's Cool But Me, which is now available everywhere. He's currently working on a number of projects as an artist, producer, writer, and arranger. Likewise, he's worked with many hip-hop legends throughout his career, including Mike Dean, Mr. Hudson, No ID, Cautious Clay, Vic Mensa, Travis Scott, Lil Nas X, and Kanye West. An Amaro liqueur hobbyist and roller coaster enthusiast with extensive skills in classical arrangement and pop production, Johan Lennox has ambitions of revolutionizing classical music by bringing it into the world of pop. So, without further ado, I'm Johan Lennox and this is Talking Lion. Well, hello. Hello, you caught me in a mouthful of liquor. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I think uh, that's a good segue, though, for the first thing uh, that I was going to ask you about. We, uh, it's good to see you first and foremost. But um, we, sure. we're trying uh, Amaro's. This one was called uh, Maletti. Maletti, and we mixed it with Jaeger and a little bit of Chinar. Yeah. See, okay. I don't know anything about anything, but you two know a bit more about it and then i know johan you know a ton about amaros yeah it's true <laughs> how many have you tried 158 or thing 159 you, you sent me an excel spreadsheet of like oh, i sent you it <laughs> <laughs> that's great i think you sent me a screenshot, screenshot yeah. yeah i don't think i've sent it to anybody <laughs> that's proprietary it used to be notes on my phone and then i i missed i was gonna have like a party for my 150th amaro and i missed it because i miscounted <laughs> nice. i was just like i should just make a, a google doc spreadsheet and then i just copied it all into that and now i what was the first one that you had Oh, it was Chinar for sure. Chinar. How did you? Yeah. How does one get into like that family of of yeah, drink? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, in, it's pretty enthusiasm. It's pretty be, odd. Yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't know anything about like what the significance of it was, and it wasn't like through Italian culture or anything like hmm. that. It was like there was a bar in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, that I went to a bunch, and I'm friends with like the owner, and he had a drink that had Chinar in it, and it also had Chinar in the name of the drink. It was like the main ingredient. Hmm. And it was off the menu when I first had it. So it was always just like, oh, that's the cool drink yeah. that he always makes me or whatever. Now it's just on the menu or whatever. But like at the time, so I just like was really into that drink. I was like, so what is the Chinar? What is that? You know? Yeah. And that was kind of it. And then I was at my friend's house like a, maybe several months later or something. And he randomly had a bottle of it. Someone gave him it as a gift. And then that was the first time I had it by itself outside of the drink was because it was there. I was like, well, I like that drink. And I had it. I was like. Well, this is like a lot more intense than the drink. Yeah. It's not like balanced at all, but it's or at least like from a cocktail perspective. It right. Isn't. But then like 
I was just like, yeah, it's actually not that bad. Everyone else was just like, this is disgusting. So I was already like, yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely bitter. It's, like I, yeah. I, you know, we're, we're having yeah. it now. I'm like, it's good. And it's I'm bitter it's, and it's like syrupy, which is like the yeah, both quality. <laughs> you know, especially when it's yeah. it's made from artichoke, so it's got like artichoke flavor, which is definitely an acquired taste for. Some yeah, I mean, I've never tasted any artichoke in there, but obviously this is true. Yeah, it's made from artichokes. Right? It's definitely true. Yeah, I, 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 I can't taste the artichoke in there, but yeah, it's probably somewhere in there. There is some. Hints of <laughs> yeah, it's like artichoke. Uh, Forgive my ignorance, yeah. but is Jaeger also in that family? In the broad, like the Amaro family? Yeah. I mean, the Italians would define Amaro, like they would say it's only Amaro if it's made in Italy and it's brown colored, <laughs> like they wouldn't even call it Campari Amaro. <laughs> right, yeah, they it's call, just a uh, different. They call that a bitter when it's red and before it's like more light on flavor, but... Yeah, I mean, they, would, they, they wouldn't call Jaeger or any of the American ones Amaro because they're just like, fuck you people. The Amaro weirdos who I've like become <laughs> like, you know, aware of in America, whatever, like the, the experts all definitely include Jaeger. Yeah, because it's it's the same thing. Like it's the same. Yeah, right. Like, so the German version is called Krauter Liqueur. <laughs> and uh, Jaeger is, is one of those. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's another one called Killapitch. Uh, and there's like maybe one or two others. Are you on like online forums and communities about it? It's not even big enough for that to exist, (laughs) honestly. There's basically like, there's one dude named Souther Teague who has a bar in New York, which is like the most Amaro-focused bar in America. There's another bar in Seattle called The Barnacle, which has like also extremely large amount of Amaro and some expertise. I have never really personally built a relationship with anyone there because I'm just not in Seattle as much. (laughs) I've definitely been there though a couple of times. And then... And then there's a guy who wrote a book called Amaro named Brad Parsons, who's also wrote a book about bitters. I like Instagram DM with those dudes a lot. We often because I'll like see something and be like, yo, have you had this before? And not infrequently we'll we'll be drinking something that neither of them have ever heard of. Like it's it's very like there's not a clear mm. like Canon comprehensive. Of- yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean there's like a certain maybe like right. twenty or thirty that you would expect these people to know. And there's definitely like five or six that are sort of ubiquitous now in like right. the cocktail world, but like in terms of like the deep cuts and shit, it's really just entirely subject to like whatever random distributor in the city you happen to live in. Yeah, that's happened to carry this shit because some person who they also buy wine from sold it to them, and now like some bars <laughs> have it, and they don't know enough about Amaro to know how unusual the thing they have is. I, I think you kindly yeah. texted me like, "Don't try to find one that's not on." Yeah, on this I'm surprised list. Like, that. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I just figured you were gonna go to Cabin Corks. So what was the last? new one that you've had i um bought one at cabin cork that i had never seen before like three days ago what's it uh, called i think it's called bonanto or something like that <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's what it's called but how it's, would you it's actually uh... spanish it's from Bar- oh. barcelona um it's like a wine-based one which is not that common so it's like pretty vermouthy it's pretty mm-hmm. like sour and, and stanky and you know nice it's okay well we're having yeah we're having the maletti with a little bit of jaeger and i, I put some gin in mine and you're right with the ice it, the whole thing kind of like comes together in, yeah. a, in a nice way sometimes all you need is a little bit of ice a little bit of, a little bit well, of that's ice. the thing too and i think a lot of people who like wouldn't drink a maro neat and at room temperature even though that's like really the way people drink it yeah. in italy like you know might actually still be down with it if it had ice and certainly, if you served it with soda. Which well, yeah, like, I don't yeah. have the, I don't have the palate, but I'm actually genuinely in, enjoying this. Uh, but you, right. I mean, you grew up. You said you love yeah. Negronis, well, right? Well, what's What's funny is what the so, so, so backstory. He's from Italy. Like he grew up in. Yeah, I spent middle and high school in Rome. Oh, and it's funny. So the day that the day that I moved to Italy, I was in the airport with my mother, and we were like just at the airport bar, and we ordered this Italian soda called Chinotto. Right, right, right. which. Like super good. Yeah, we're just which you know at the time we're just like, oh, this is like this fun Italian soda, like it's called Quinonto, like never tried it before. We both like drank it and spat it out. We're like, this is like horrific. It's because it's so bitter. Like 
Yeah. Um, but I think just over my time in Italy, I developed a taste for Quinotto, which is a really bitter orange yeah. like soda. Um, and I feel like that's kind of in the same yeah. like world as a lot of the Amaros. Yeah, especially things. the red ones, which are all pretty much like, yeah, flavored, and then, like yeah. orange rind. And so. then Negronis are great because it's three yeah. different kinds of alcohol and they get you really fucked up. But they're also <laughs> like, it's really interesting like from a flavor perspective. So I think yeah. growing up in Italy, like, you know, you have like an Aperol spritz, you know, five yeah. times a day when you're in Venice. Like, I think it's just yeah. like, it, it was a very natural part of my so, yeah. education as a, as a human. Yeah, there's been this like massive campaign by whatever Campari group, I guess, to get Aperol spritzes into the American I've, consciousness. I've it's just like it's, unavoidable it's, 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 for the past there's year. so much marketing around the Aperol yeah, spritz in like America. Yeah, there's like entire like, you know, outdoor bars will just all the umbrellas, chairs, and tables, yeah. and cushions will just see Aperol spritz on it. Well, so let's let's move back to before pre-drinking age where are you from i'm from uh winchester massachusetts it's a suburb of boston so yeah east east coaster as well what, what did your parents do my dad is um, a patent lawyer and my mom like is a scholar on the topic of like art his or really architecture history architectural history oh, like nice. like uh, circa like 1900 <laughs> in new england like real specific so yeah. like very intellectual yeah parents, she's super academic. intellectual yeah yeah she's like super academic i mean he i would say my dad is like i don't know if i would call it academic but a yeah, patent lawyer is definitely not like yeah for sure he definitely he like looks at people's inventions all day and tries to describe them better to the u.s government <laughs> it's like, an interesting task yeah yeah, yeah it's tight um, and do you have any siblings as well? Yeah, I have an older brother, Peter, who uh, is in Williamsburg, and he's an architect, and he oh, also wow. has a band. He also has a band. What kind yeah. of what kind of music? I don't really know the shit that it's referencing, but it's this sort of like somewhere between like psychedelic, like late seventies, early eighties, like British, like Madchester type shit. <laughs> I don't really know. The band's called Dino Walrus. I don't know what any of those things mean. I'm right, we'll, check, we'll check out Dino Walrus. I'm yeah. of pop music history. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know where to though. start, but they're cool. Did you both take like uh, lessons when you were kids? Well, there was a piano in my house and I sort of like taught myself piano and then like briefly took some piano lessons, like sort of years into already knowing how to play the piano really didn't like it and quit the lessons and went back to just kind of playing by ear and improvisationally. And then I, and then when I, when I really started studying music for real was I started studying composition instead of piano. And that's when I was a lot more. And you were really interested in, in classical music at that point. Um, yeah. I mean, I started playing piano, I think. And like, like, like when I was getting into teaching myself piano is like, partly inspired by like film music and stuff like that like whatever indiana jones like john williams writing <laughs> yeah. scores to a lot of yeah. these movies like that type of stuff and he was the conductor of the boston pops which is like oh yeah, right, yeah. sort of pops orchestra and well we we were living right down the street from there right from symphony yeah, for yeah a while. We, we lived on right. hemingway yeah 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 i know so yeah yeah so i mean like we i was able to go see him conduct orchestra and i just sort of just, like became familiar with that world early on and i think that was what i initially was interested in and then as I was studying composition more, I think like the teachers that I had, and especially as I like rose through the ranks, I guess, and started working with like just m teachers who were like deeper and deeper into the classical world, they sort of focused me more into what was mm. happening in, in like the contemporary classical world, which is like a thing that a lot of people don't know exists, but like. Because that's an oxymoron it, in and of itself, but like. Well, I guess. Well, I mean, it, I mean, it, it just in the phrasing of it. It just depends how you yeah. define classical. I mean, like within, I mean, obviously like it has one definition, which is like the era of music. You know, I mean, like I use it to just describe like this ensemble of people, whatever, it's the symphony orchestra or choirs or like. Yeah, and that's how most Chamber music. Use, yeah. Use that yeah, and like, I mean, people don't know there's people still writing that type of music, but I don't really know what word to use other than classical. There was a lot of terms that were thrown around. Art music was one. Yeah. At one point, literally there was people who would call it serious music, which I 
uh, a little bit. You know, it sort of almost gives away what the whole serious thing is, which is or like what people, you're supposed to feel while you're yeah, it's just yeah. like oh, so like that's all it is to you is that it's just like it's something <laughs> to like show people how seriously you take yourself type of shit, which is not my my jam, but. And you were, were you composing music? Some people call it that, you know. But were you composing original stuff at that point? Yeah, I mean, yeah. For, well, I, don't, I think it really. I always was, and I think that's why I didn't really enjoy piano lessons. Was that I had always been just sort of more like wanting to just create my own shit at the piano than to like be reading notes verbatim. Uh, so you went to you went to Yale. Um, yeah. w- what did you study while you were there? Classical composition. Gotcha. I mean, like you have to do everything because it was. I went undergrad, and then I also went to grad school there. But I went in undergrad. You have to. Um, it's like college, so you just have to study math and science and everything. You know, grad it was uh, the music school, so grad it was purely studying music composition, and then with like some other. Oh, you did of, graduate too. That's yeah. Undergrad was like I majored in music. That's as specific as you can get. I mean, I spent an enormous amount of time focused on my classical composition activities in and outside of school while I was there. But I was also doing other stuff. I was in acapella groups. I was in, um, I sang in choirs. I um, wrote a bunch of musicals and staged those. And uh, I started a group that was doing classical music in like a more immersive setting that was sort of like almost like Cirque du Soleil type shit, <laughs> like spectacular kind of. <laughs> what, what were the musicals? Uh, there were a bunch. I mean, one was uh, based off this uh, Flannery O'Connor book I wrote with my friend Matthew George. It's called Wise Blood, which is huh. the name of a book of hers. And it's very like abstract. There was another one uh, that we did a couple of years later called, and that was he and I again, called Caius Martius, which is based on the uh, Shakespeare play Coriolanus, but it's like the oh, yeah. before Coriolanus, <laughs> like like what what kind of kid was he kind of thing, like <laughs> almost like Wicked, but for Shakespeare. Which is, uh, that shit was tight. And then there was one that I wrote with a couple of friends called Independence, about a bunch of kids who live on a boat and smoke a lot of weed and like... Uh, <laughs> reenact the revolutionary war for tourists basically like it's Whoa. one of those boats that you like go on you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. They're, I like basically, that. they're cool. basically like not really doing it they're mostly just like selling weed off the side of the boat <laughs> and shit like that and they play a lot of like folk music and hang out and they're sort of all like young and escaping various circumstances and they come together and then eventually realize like that they have to grow up and like you know that it's like and not the, sustainable it's really about the, the friends that they make along the way it's like <laughs> i would say yeah i mean like the first act one is about the friends they make along the way and then i feel like act two is really that it's like you know, I guess like the limitations that like, you know, a community that you spend too much time with. Well, it's, it's, it's the the hazards of transcendentalism is that like you're, you know, you, you want to get away from it all and then realize that you kind of like parts of it all. Yeah, maybe you that's know? it. It's um, definitely tight. And it's, it's interesting because it's like thematically that show and it wasn't like my story idea. I was really just doing the music for that one. Yeah. But it really like ended up. Like, because now we're trying to turn it into a movie and like we're still developing that show and stuff. Like, that one ended up lining up like very much thematically with what my own artist, like my stuff that I put out as Johan is, you know, all about, which is again like youth and just sort of like not wanting to grow up, but also like watching like the feeling of like young, like sort of carefreeness <laughs> just slowly like sour as you get older. And mm. well, because I was going to ask you if like yeah. you were still uh, interested in putting these things on. I know you've been 100%. crazy busy, but it seems, yeah, that, that's still yeah, no, I mean, a part big, of your. Yeah. A big part of why I like got interested in pop music was like that I was interested in like the platform that being on the level of somebody like a, a Kanye or whoever, like a Frank Ocean, something like that, you know, can can get you. It's very easy, I think, if you've worked in pop music extensively to get to write a musical. That doesn't mean you know anything about writing a musical or like <laughs> right. that it will do well at all. Well, that, that was a separate what, question. But yeah. yeah, what was always really attractive to me about pop music was similar to what you like. I was very interested in film. I, I still write scripts and everything like that. And it, it occurred to me that, OK, if you do 
well in a certain space like pop music or that, that you then have the ability to sort of expand into whatever it is you're potentially interested in, in a multimedia kind of way. We just saw John Bellion play the Greek right. and halfway through his show, he's like, by the way, like I'm, I'm putting on a TV show. Like I'm starting right. a, an animated TV show. Like you can just do that. You know? It definitely like, makes it easier. I don't think it guarantees any of that stuff will for be successful, sure. but it's like, especially for the types of entertainment, like a musical where it's like, very dependent on raising a lot of money and has to, and also just has to like sort of succeed at least a bit in the first few weeks it's open. Right. Something like a big name can do a lot to just like make that more likely to happen. Well, I just, I just saw Moulin Rouge, like I'm, I'm drinking out of the Moulin Rouge mug. Right, right. Um, and that's like, you know, such a shoe in because it's, they just use songs that, are good like that's the whole thing yeah. is right we're gonna take it's the last basically 10 glee. Basically yeah, it's gonna, gonna take the, the, we're gonna take the last musical. 10 years of good music and put it to a yeah. love story and it and it worked yeah, i fucking love yeah, that yeah some kind of familiarity some kind of yeah just something that people already know they're stoked about yeah to get them in the door that's the age we live in no i read uh i read somewhere that um your sort of change of heart about pop music in relation to classical music came during an acid chip Right. Uh, can you tell me about that? Yeah, that was like part of it too. I mean, yeah, I I, uh, I basically hadn't listened to any kind of pop music with any seriousness. Like I wasn't aware, like whatever, like Eminem was really popping when right. I was in grade school. And like that wasn't um, something I, I probably didn't even know what he looked like. You know, I'd never listened to those albums. I'd never seen the videos. Like, I, you know, I just sort yeah. of like heard the singles they were playing on the school bus and shit, you know, but I didn't really know. Like, you know what I mean? So that's just an example. But like, it, was just, it was in the background. Yeah. And yeah. that's just all of pop music. I mean, there was like a few exceptions, like weird, like dated shit. Like I was really into Nirvana, but didn't know <laughs> anything about Pearl Jam or anything like that. Right. You know, like it was very just like those albums. My brother had them and I listened to them. Like I mean, I, I felt the same way. My best friends would listen to like electronic music and dubstep and all that stuff. And um, I would hear pop like on the bus to camp. But by and large, I listened to folk music and film scores. And that was right. that was it. Yeah. So it was it's like just, that. Yeah. I listened to some film scores, listened to some musicals. Listened, and then like increasingly listened to a lot of like classical and sort of like contemporary classical music um and then pretty much that stayed all the way through college and then uh and then somebody played me dark twisted fantasy uh at a, at a house party and i'd never heard that album before while you were tripping yeah it was just like it happened yeah it was like this uh that's a mood yeah it was crazy yeah it was just like um i mean it was also at, at like like in at my hometown, you know, yeah. It's just sort of like very like there's a lot of with, stuff. Yeah, with yeah. friends I'd known for like years and stuff yeah. like that. It's just like oh, like all these people are like really into this album, which is musically insane to me for pop music. You yeah. know, it definitely seemed closer to classical music just in the types of things that it was doing. Not all the way through, but certain moments especially. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, okay. So it's like clearly there's a way to do things that are musically interesting that's like still going to be heard by a ton of people and just like really have an impact on. American culture or whatever. And so I pretty much just then spent a few years like live, living with that album and listening to it while I was continuing to write classical shit <laughs> and just sort of like trying to figure out like what I thought. That was like a trajectory what. shift. Kind yeah, of. it wasn't like an overnight realization, but it was like, it was, you know, that is the end of two years of listening to that album was when I staged like with my friend Charlie staged one of the biggest, basically the biggest show that I've ever done in terms of like, well, until now, but like, you know, at the time, the biggest show I'd ever done that like was like classical music, immersive, whatever, all that type of shit with acrobats, all that type of stuff, you know, crazy show. We did like 10 performances. It was like in a, a big like warehouse space you know <laughs> yeah. and like we invited producers to that and like some of the producers who came we, we you know we had like the producers like blue man group and shit like that which is like i think sort of a similar where did you stage it that was like it was in new haven connecticut just like in a random it's now a mario batali restaurant but it was this <laughs> empty space so the producers like heard that shit and they, and they were just kind of like this is really cool you know 
That said, like, we don't even really think we could do Blue Man Group today the way that we did in the late 80s or whatever, because it's just like you can't start a show in New York that weird mm -hmm. with no buzz and like spend the months building up the buzz and still pay rent. And just like it's not really like affordable to do it that way anymore. And like you mm -hmm. just kind of need to open with a big splash. And you're just like thinking about again, <laughs> Cindy Lauper, all these types of shows, you know, whatever people that can just show up and write a hit musical or whatever. Right, with that built in audience. Yeah, it's well, just like, oh, and then it all came together. It's like, okay, I just got to go fucking become Kanye, <laughs> basically. And then this all worked. Content is about um, trust nowadays. I mean, there's just so much shit that we just have to trust. Like, the, the, you know, between the ads that we see and the people who are involved, we have to just like trust that it's going to be worth our time. Yeah. You know, when it comes to shows, like people don't necessarily want to take a risk on a new thing if there isn't something that will yeah. draw it and pull it. I mean, it I think that's always away. been true, but yeah. it's just like... There's so just, much more now. Especially, like, I mean, there's like very specific factors in this too, which is that like historically, like theatrical productions, like New York is the place that stuff starts. Like it's really like, you don't really see... Or at least that's where it has to become yeah. like what its final form is kind of yeah. is still in New York because that's historically where that stuff happened. Right. But like New York is now like the most expensive place to try to do anything in, <laughs> in any kind of arts right now. So it's just like this weird pairing of like, well, this is sort of the hub of culture for like live, you know, theatrical entertainment, but also like it's impossible to do anything. Artists there that's can't taking afford any kind to of live, risk yeah. at all. And so it's like, yeah, I'm not sure that like that's going to, to like stay exactly that way forever because it just seems kind of unsustainable. There's but, already yeah. been At an exodus out moment. here. Yeah, people are already coming out. Yeah, here. And, but it's like it, you, I wouldn't say like the LA is the center of live yeah, entertainment. That's, that's like it's, the, yeah, it's like that shit hasn't come out here at all. You know, like, yeah, it's hard to imagine New York not being the place where musicals happen. Yeah, you know, like yeah, or or again like these Circus Soleil type things. Yeah. Like it's like you know if you kind of have to get it in New York, and then once it's big in New York, I mean you can do that stuff in Vegas. But the weird thing about Vegas is like. It's you its own be, microcosm. You can be yeah. huge in Vegas, but like not really heard of anywhere except by people who come into Vegas. Right. Show. Yeah, like things so don't, things aren't, people don't hear about stuff that's happening in Vegas other than like if Britney Spears or yeah. like Bruno Mars does like a, you know, a three month residency yeah. or whatever. But yeah, so it's like you have to do it in New York. And also it's because like media is still like largely in New York and they're the ones who kind of decide like you're going to hear about this shit or not, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's tricky. Well, that's the chess thing. It's like, oh, so we heard good reviews and this thing. Because, yeah. you know, your time is value. You can watch three things. You can watch one thing or you can see one show when you're in New York. What do you see? Yeah, at this point, you we know? just want someone to tell us, like, hey, what's the what's the right thing? Yeah, what's, sure. what's the show? I mean, I what's think the that's, right show? It makes sense. Hey, by yeah, by we'll trade sense. privacy for it. It's like, yeah, I'll give privacy for, you know, well-curated life. It's like, I don't want to be searching through my Netflix for the next right. thing to watch, you know? Yeah. So how did you first get involved with uh, Yeethoven? Yeah, so that was, um, I mean, it started in 2015, and the first show was in 2016. Um, my friend Yuga Kohler, who grew up one town over from me, was a classical orchestra conductor. And, like, I've known her for a long time, and, like, we had never really collaborated. We just sort of, like, knew each other. Um, and he was appointed the conductor of this orchestra in L.A. called the Young musicians foundation orchestra or whatever and it's like it's an orchestra mostly just like kind of 20 year olds and stuff who just finished school and want to play in an orchestra that's really good and every, and he got three years there and every at the end of every season they're just like they give you one concert i think to just like do something crazy that's hmm. kind of the the you know and people take that in different directions and he just wanted to really do something with kanye west music because i think he was intrigued by his music in the same way that i was and his cultural impact and the way he sort of is respected, but also has this mass culture thing going on. Mm. <laughs> so you could just kind of hit me out of the blue and just like, yo, I really want to do this thing with Kanye music in this orchestra. And that was kind of all he had. And then he and I together developed what became this concert that was basically just using 
like Beethoven music as like the classical analog to basically just point out why we as like classical musicians thought Kanye's music was so interesting, especially and in this case only the music from Yeezus was the focus of the first mm. concert. That's and awesome. we just kind of like yeah, just finding like what were the well, what are the craziest things musically that happened on this album. And then what's like, and then we just pick Beethoven. I mean, we, there's a couple of reasons and we, we like Beethoven because he's also just like, he was sort of famously like a dick and just sort of like, <laughs> which we liked because it was a time when people had like a lot of strong opinions about Kanye. We liked the people who were going to question that right, yeah. about Kanye. It was like, well, you didn't, doesn't bother you that Beethoven was, you know, yeah. controversial, whatever like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's just like clearly, you know, just we like that aspect of it. And also just Beethoven is just like the classical composer. Right. And he also did a lot of things that were sort of like pretty radical at the time too. So we just found all these like comparisons and did like six like, He of suffered each. too. I mean, he had like, you know, his ailments and stuff. Yeah. 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 But, you know, not musically. I mean, his shit got more and more insane at the end of his career. So late Beethoven and late Kanye, yeah. if, you, if, if this is Kanye <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Right if this is yeah, Kanye, we, we don't know insane. the longevity of I mean, yeah, yeah, I think Kanye will be, like, around for a long time in some capacity. But I do think, like, pop music careers don't tend to last more than, like, 10 or 15 years at the most. It is know? interesting, though, how many people were sort of launched from Kanye. Like, you know, yeah. you and then you think of, like, John Belly and, like, listen to College Dropout and all that. Like, Oh, I never even knew that. Yeah, he, he yeah that was that, that was John Bellion's like come to Jesus moment was like he heard college dropout was like I'm dropping out of college like hmm. he just like that he was so struck by Kanye's music that was like oh this is what I want to be funny doing as hell. He, he has a song called Money Right he says like I'm dropping out of college from an album made by Ye and it's yeah it's interesting just how culturally significant and then you need to think about like Chance the Rapper and how that sort of came from there and everything yeah. you know yeah. uh, have you have you worked with him directly Kanye yeah yeah briefly yeah I worked with him on the Tiana Taylor album that he produced a year ago right what was that like it was awesome <laughs> did was, you tell him like the impact that he had uh it wasn't like that <laughs> he knows he doesn't need to be told what his fucking impact yeah. is I'm like, just I, yeah, I, yeah. I have this bad I mean, habit knew, of, like yeah. I didn't bring up Yeetoven but like I, I my understanding because it was through Mike Dean who like was producing all, like sort of co-producing everything that Kanye was doing in that point as, as I understand it Mike was just like this, we're gonna have this Yeetoven kid do a bunch of shit is that cool and Kanye was like oh yeah cool you know so that was, I knew that, that going in. He, he knew the out. resume. Yeah, but we didn't get like to really hang out and shit. Right, like yeah. it wasn't like, I mean, I wish we had, but it was, it was more <laughs> just like business. But yeah, um, cool. you worked on Astroworld too, right? Yeah, on, uh, it was also Coffee through, Bean. Also Mike Dean, yeah. Mike what uh, a legend. I, I arranged like the cello part that's like, it's a type because it's actually the last thing you hear on the album. There's like three, I think, phrases of autotune vocal after it. But basically, before that, the last sound of the entire album is this cello. That's uh, my friend Isaiah. And I tracked that. How, uh, how, so now you're, you're playing keys for Vic Mensa too, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say like basically the Vic, like I, I did strings for him initially and that actually happened through Yeetoven. Like one of his managers knew somebody who had been to that show and they connected me and yeah. So I did strings for his autobiography album, which was two years ago. And then sort of just got to know him, had him featured on one of my songs, like, played piano on that album and then I also just on that song that I had played piano on the album played piano on that song when he did it like to promote the album with right. like his listening party hosted by Jay-Z I, I played it with him on Colbert like and so like got to know him a bit more that way and then started producing for him and now like you know his he, he dropped a project called Hooligans in, in the end of the last year it was sort of like quiet but he dropped it it was you know like Ty Dolla Sign a bunch of people on it but uh, I um, co-produced and exec produced everything on that project and then then there's this new project, this like this band called 93 Punks that he started. That's sort of this like rock meets hip hop meet like very like <laughs> social messaging kind of like interesting, just a, a kind of pretty provocative like 
band. Um, and I'm like in the band because I produced the album with him. And right. it's like basically just him, me, this dude, Drew DeCaro, and then this other guy, Dave Koresh, who's from Chicago as well. So we all uh, sort of produced the album. And so we are the 93 Punks. But yeah. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. So I mean, like when we play live shows, I play like the Moog bass, I guess. Right. But um, well, when we first met, you were as you were yeah, leaving, yeah. you were walking to like the sort to of shoot photo some shoot photos for, for yeah. 93 Punks. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Did I see also you were doing stuff with Lil Nas X? Yeah. In, in what capacity did you did you work with him? His A and R, like just like basically, I knew another A and R at Columbia who was trying to get me on some other shit, and then that guy just randomly like was brainstorming with Lil Nas X's A and R who's named Wes, mm-hmm. and they were just trying to figure out who to put him in sessions with because he wasn't really into sessions where. He just goes in and people play a bunch of beats like he was kind of bored with that. Right. Mm-hmm. And they just thought, let's tr- th- try some something different, like whatever. And they were looking for just things to be interesting and just threw us in a session. We, we wrote two songs, which uh, I mean, I think if they if they get used, it would be on the album, which is like, you know. Yeah. yeah that's when that not the, yeah, they didn't make the EP, but I did strings on the EP for um, for uh, his song Kick It. So that was cool. That's, That's awesome. Do you do you sequence them or do you write I've them never out? Done and that. I yeah, never, not once. I only uh, yeah, I write this shit out in Sibelius software, which Ooh, is like nice. music, and nice. then I like just uh, send a PDF to string players. That's awesome. Bring them over, record, and they just read the shit and record like stacks. Well, it's cool to have that that relationship too. To have the more cool projects. Or like things that are sort of slowly growing, or in this case, yeah. quickly growing, is well, uh, yeah. I mean, there was like three and a half years or so that I was here that sort of nothing interesting happened. Mm-hmm. The first person I met that really was interesting was Mr. Hudson, who's you know famous for being the feature on Paranoid and Forever Young and like three <laughs> right, other right, big right. fucking Kanye songs and a couple of DJ Snake right. songs and a Frank Ocean song, I think too. He's like a legend. So I, yeah, I knew him for a while. He's like honestly one of my dear friends out here. I see him a lot, and he I played piano for him for a long time and, and mm-hmm. co-produced a lot of his shit. He just put an album out actually, and the single from that featured Vic Mensa and was co-produced by the two of us. And we wrote it <laughs> three years ago before I knew Vic. So it was like wow, amazing. that's crazy. The song is called Chicago. Vic is on it. You know, it's like amazing. It's like perfect. It's like a weird like yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It just felt so good. I love that song so much. And Hudson's just like the fucking man. He's like one of my best friends. So he. uh yeah, so he was like the first kind of person who was like, you know, doing shit that people, you know, were aware of or whatever that I that I worked with and I worked with him a bunch and then and then Vic and him. So once I met Vic, they actually were in the studio a few weeks later. So just kind of oh, like, like, oh, well, you know, that guy? Yeah. 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 Suddenly it's just like I just felt like, oh, I know everybody. So it's like, <laughs> not at all. But then once the Mike Dean shit happened and then like a couple other things kind of came together, it just started to be like. You know, and I met no ID through like I met so many people through no ID and just like having that kind of right. Know, yeah. Um, well, it's about having people who can champion you, like people who have yeah. you know no idea. Yeah, like, no idea. Yeah. Like Dean, like together, which is actually fucking crazy because I didn't actually really think about this until a couple months ago. But if you actually go through the credits on Dark Twisted Fantasy, yeah, more than half of that album, there's songs where they're the only two producer credits. It's <laughs> no idea, Mike Dean, and these two people have been more responsible for everything I've had out here than anybody else. So it's actually fucking wild that yeah. that album and then those two people. Well, it's and it's, then Kanye, it's and like then, a and like, Yato, yeah, yeah. like it's like it's all you know, like it's, it's, it's like a it's like a filter in your head, you know. It's like there was something that inspired you, and that was what you were looking for. So of course you're gonna see and take interest in the things that, yeah, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that I've like been strategic about this shit at all. No, so, you know, yeah, I've sometimes been, it just works out that way. Yeah, maybe you're cosmically blessed. Who knows? I definitely think right. I definitely think <laughs> Yato was like, yeah. but but honestly, that wasn't my idea as a thing. 
like, I think what that concert was, was obviously a, in large part my idea, but like the idea to do that concert at all and the opportunity with the orchestra and shit was entirely from my friend, you know? Yeah. So it was really well, like, and, it's, said, and I'm, it's, thank God I was like, yeah, let's do this. Not that I would have said no, but like, you know, thank God that he had that idea and brought right. it to me because that's how I, Mike Dean just DM'd me cold on Twitter. He's like, oh, I heard that. I no yeah. idea I met through Vic, who I met through someone who came to that show. So it was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> maybe while you were, that show was everything. Maybe and while then, you, while you were tripping, you like saw the future and then like, uh, you know, all, all you heard was just that you needed I couldn't a- have predicted anything about this <laughs> Not even a little bit. It's been so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel like- the And first- I'm really just the beginning, obviously. But I mean, yeah. So like my long-term goal is really just to like make classical music into a, into a massive pop culture phenomenon. And like, this is sort of like the way I've decided is the best way to get there. I would not have predicted, like I've been in, into that idea for years before I even heard the album and thought that right. music was the way to do that, or at least the way to get there a little bit or hip hop, let alone. But uh, it's interesting how even just in the last couple of years, like, all, you know, so Yeethoven led to this show we just did a few months ago at Lincoln Center, which is like, you know, one of the biggest classical venues in New York called K Factor, which is like a K, it was like K-pop music, same thing, okay? Was it with and the now, same guy you worked with? Yep, yeah. and now we're like pitching them on like seasons worth of shit to do there and like move, those things, the concepts we're pitching are moving closer and closer and closer to like my vision of just like, and our vision together too, but of just like what the future of classical music could look like and literally solving all the problems that have bothered me about why classical music it just feels like it's totally irrelevant to, right. you know, American culture and art, you know, stuff in general. But it's like, you know, in my in my mind when I had this idea, which seemed insane, was like, well, I'll go become like a Kanye level star, <laughs> which is very unlikely, obviously. And then after that's done, I will then do all this shit with classical music. In fact, it's like I'm not even like at the beginning of that journey. And already just the by the you know, the nature of being out here doing pop music and just meeting these people and just like learning how this shit works, I'm already getting opportunities to start doing the shit I want to do with classical. So it's like if anything, it's, it's already worked way better than I thought. I'm not even close to there yet. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's uh, like taking that risk was like to just like drop everything and literally like leave classical music grad school at the end. I graduated, but at the very end and just completely abandon everybody and everything that that has been about <laughs> to move to L.A. and pretty much just try like the beats yeah. and shit. It has actually been like the perfect gamble. It made, it's, yeah, it's, it's paid off better than I could imagine. It is interesting how it all runs in parallel, but also how these sort of tangential things that you know, maybe we're important or we're important, like come into focus. Like, but it's interesting that like, you know, your, your life just sort of played out in this sort of trajectory. Yeah. You know, I, well, I mean, I mean, I think I am like probably more than most people, someone who's like, like I was on this radio show called from the top, which is for like classical music. Oh yeah. Kids. yeah. I was on that show when I was maybe, I think I must've been 17 yeah. and was talking about the exact shit I'm talking about right now. Like I didn't <laughs> have nearly the like language or the understanding of how to do it. But I was already like, I really wish classical music had this audience that wasn't just like other classical musicians, basically, and like old people who like, you know, being rich and seeing each other donate to shit, you know? Hey. It was like, I was already aware of that then. Like, it's like, it's, and so in some ways, like, I actually, nothing has changed. Like, I'm right. exactly on the same path. I'm a lot closer, but, you know, like, sure, through all the twists and turns, like, I've never lost focus of that shit, and I don't think I ever will, you know? But yeah. so at what point, because uh, it, it sounded like it was always sort of the goal to have the solo project, but at what point did you start? Uh, the Johan and now Lo- Johan Lennox project. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. I keep changing my name. I mean, the, the goal was always to do from the moment of like, I'm going to stop doing classical or like sort of give put that to the side for a second and go do this shit. It was like to be an artist. It was never to be a producer, you know? Right. But like, I'll also do anything I need to to get there. And like producing has been a good way to meet a lot of people and learn a lot. And just, you know, the more opportunities come along that make it easier for me to not do producing, <laughs> the less producing I'm going to do. You know, right. it's just like the more and more I'm able to just be like, okay, it's album time. I'm just going to do 
my album now. Right. Yeah. I won't say no to like whatever. I just like the Big Sean single I did like last Friday was oh, nice. it's like clearly I'm gonna do shit like that. Yeah. Clearly yeah. things like Lil Nas X, you know. Uh, but it's like it's it's become easier to just be like, yeah, I don't, I'm not gonna do pitch sessions at all now, you know, yeah, yeah. or whatever. And I'm not. Well, yeah, clearly you, you have a lot of other stuff you're chilling it's on. Not, yeah, it's just I can be so much more valuable and have such a much more interesting contribution to people's music not doing that shit, you know, like just doing additional production or just doing a string arrangement or you know. What was the first song you put out uh, for the solo project? It was a song called Dangerous with no O, so it's just like Danger Space Us, us basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty clever. No, I don't uh, think it's clever. Yeah, I don't, I don't do that type of stuff now. But that was like <laughs> maybe three years ago. I'm gonna say. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, th- yeah, that song already. Like, I was start. It, it's been a long process. Like, there was music I put out under a different name, which I won't even mention before that for a couple <laughs> of years. Like, it's been like I've been putting artist stuff out. Like, I've never been like, let me spend three years getting my sound right, and then I'll put music out. It's never been that way. Right. So I was just mm-hmm. like, let me just push it out. And like a lot of shit that wasn't good got put out, and they're just kind of like, all right, I'm gonna change my name. You know. Put some stuff out again, but now it's only on SoundCloud. All right, now we switch to Spotify, <laughs> but some of those songs aren't going to go on Spotify. You know, it's like and we feel that viscerally. So yeah, yeah, and I'm you. okay with that. I mean, it's like you know, there's been some debate even about like because I feel like the sound just keeps changing a little bit. Now I feel very, very, very confident about what I'm doing. But even since I took the name Johan, whatever, like, like you know, dangerous or whatever, like, like thematically the same exact shit that I'm talking about right now. But it's like sonically like a bit different. Like I'm using more like falsetto. Like it's right. like a little bit less like the beats are a little less like tra- trap driven, I guess. You know, stuff like that. There's no 808s, whatever. Um, Did you pick Johan because of uh, Bach? Yeah. Yeah. And Brahms too, actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really Brahms, but I just, you know. And what about Lennox? Because now it's Johan Lennox. Yeah, Lennox, Massachusetts is where um, Tanglewood uh, is. Like it's a All summer right. classical music oh, yeah. where I used to spend, yeah, a lot of time at studying the greats. Oh, was the first song you put under the new name, uh, Everybody's Cool But Me? Yeah, well, so that wasn't really, like, I didn't change my name, but, I mean, yeah, the the Lennox thing I just added, like, a a week or two ago. But, yeah, like, like, Everybody's Cool But Me was, like, yeah, there was a year, the year that I did all the, like, Kanye, Astroworld, all that type of shit, the Vic stuff, all that, I didn't really put any music out. Mm -hmm. I was still working on music. I had a whole EP that was done that ended up getting scrapped. We shot videos (laughs) for it and everything. Like, me and my manager was just the two of us really doing everything together and, like, this kid Zach Bell, who does all my visuals. Oh, uh, we um, you know him? yeah, he's a friends with Axel, Axel Mansour. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, um, he went to school with me. So he, um, yeah. So like, it was just like it was just still like trying to figure out the sound, and I think the, finding the sound has been this like really long process of like partly of just like understanding how people process what the sound of something is right. coming from a, not having had a like a, or I just like hadn't had like a big relationship to pop music. So it's like I think most people who like really do it come in and just kind of like like they were fans of a certain type of music and then they sort of make something like that and build on it and like that's that's all you need because they they exist in a certain world they're clearly interacting with a thing that's been happening and they just like they have their own take on it and it's interesting for reasons that that world would really understand because they're deep in that world right mm-hmm. i'm this person who just like comes in like an alien like <laughs> just being like well i've never listened to pop music of any kind should i be make it more like this like it needs to be more like that. It needs to be more like that. None of these things have anything to do with each other. And to me, it's just like, well, like, yeah, but like, if you keep these production elements similar, then it's all the same thing. And people are just like, why is this one like rock? <laughs> and this one army was like, well, I don't, what is, why, what does that even mean? Like, and everybody's cool. Me was kind of the first of like, where I really feel like I'm, I'm pretty much set in what I'm doing. Now. Did you so write like, every, or do you co-write with people? That, that song I wrote a hundred percent.
100% produce 100%. Um, Cause I think what, what floored some, some of them, I, co- I mean, whatever. If Yeah. I think what really floored me about that song was that not only was the production tight, not only were the like really cool arrangement elements throughout, but the writing was really like tight. And, and to have like a producer who's also like a strong writer and I'm like, yeah. you, you know. Well, I just have had to figure this out because I feel like I never, I didn't come into the industry as like, a star with an incredible voice where they just were like here, you know, throw songs or like learn how to write. And that's all like, I was just doing everything I could to get into rooms. And so I learned how to do all the different things a little bit. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm a really strong pop writer. Like I, I don't, and that's why I actually, that's the real reason I don't do pitch sessions. It's not because I don't, think it's like worth it it's because i like don't think i'm good enough you know yeah because the, the pitch thing is it's hard like, yeah it's and hard, i and i've actually like right. for a long time i just didn't understand like how does anybody get a song cut out of a pitch <laughs> session and i've and then i did a couple with like i did one with um what's her amy allen and i did oh, a yeah. couple right. with sarah aarons and i saw how they write how they, yeah it's like i get it like yeah like there are actually a couple people out here who like pretty much when they get on them like it just sounds like a fucking hit when they've written it, you know well what's cool about the song was that like it comes no, in like it comes in with that like like almost like Bach cello, like the dun 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 But also just like thematically, it resonated with kind of the LA experience of, oh man, like. Sure. Like. I mean, I write all this shit just about growing up in like suburban Massachusetts and shit. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, it probably does relate to LA. It probably relates to everywhere, I hope. But it's like, yeah. in the end, like for me, it's always just the feeling of like being in my house my parents having gone to bed <laughs> knowing that there's like some party going on somewhere in oh, town yeah. but like and like knowing everyone enough to like be able to probably hit them up and be like yo is so there's a party right but not like being you know just not being a regular enough in that scene necessarily <laughs> depending on what it is to have been like explicitly like hounded to come to it or whatever and then just not really like just being like stressed about it and like <laughs> wanting to hang with certain people, but like not. Yeah. Just, yeah. But I feel like that, that part of your life never really ends. I feel like that's why it relates to the LA experience. Yeah. Cause this is just the next sort of like Pokemon evolution of that system. Just like, Oh, yeah. I want to go to that party with those people. And, but now yeah. those people are like, you know, Grammy award-winning producers, but it's the same shit. Yeah, there like, definitely yeah. is some of that. I mean, I think I've gotten a lot more confident about stuff than I was then and just sure. like confident that I'm just like able to be like charming enough that people are going <laughs> to like, it's going to be fine if yeah. I just talk to people and shit. Yeah, definitely. yeah I mean, I, I've always but, to a degree yeah. relied on being able to true. talk my way through stuff. For like sure, I, I feel yeah. very confident about like if, I, if I'm in the room, I'll be able to at least make a friend or two or, or at least feel like I, I'm not there for like no, no reason, but it's the feeling of like not necessarily being invited, which I, I haven't necessarily felt in a long like yeah. time, but it, I mean, it, I wasn't like a loser by any means, but I was definitely just like a kid who was like very overachiever doing a lot of like classical music shit with people who didn't go to high school with me. And like on the weekends and then sort of like barely checked in with the social life in the high school. And I actually <laughs> will say like everybody knew who I was and everyone like respected me because everyone knew I was like this music genius type kid. And so I like, everyone was like basically cool to me. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's I, not the same thing as like actually hanging out with people and like, going yeah, out I feel like I, I, I was in a similar, similar boat where like, I mean on paper, here's the thing on paper, I was like, class president. Like I was like, I did a lot of that wow. kind of stuff. Cause it was a really small school. Yeah. But like, I only had like two friends. So everyone was kind of like, oh yeah, there's that kid. And he's like really good at music and theater, but like no one really yeah, yeah. talked to me. But it was like this, like, like this sort of a bit of a bit well, of respect. And, that, and that's sort of what I was saying is that like I, you know, my two best friends, we would just, we would go to lunch together. We would do everything together. And then I would go into the city to do music stuff and I would post about it online, whatever. But I, I, as far as anybody at my school knew, like knew, I had no interest in being a part of th- that. But like, you know, I was like totally fine with the arrangement until it was Friday night. 
and yeah, people like were a at a party. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. I never had like a girlfriend and shit in high school. I really wish I would have had that, but it's great. The weird thing that's kind of like contradictory though is like I'm like all of the music like is reflects like a deep sense of nostalgia for high school. And, yeah. Like, to me, that's still like the best time in my life. And some parts of college that were sort of similar vibes, just very like crews of people having house parties. Like that, that house party, like northeastern kind of culture is like the central defining element of everything i do visually Mm. lyrically you know that's why i appreciate your music that it's on the one hand nostalgic and universal on the other hand very specific what i like about is like um i don't do drugs anymore it's just like oh yeah that's such a strong strong feeling yeah you know it's just like yeah um and you know the song where like you walking on your friend i think of these songs as being kind of funny and it's like I write them really sad, like musically and shit, but it's yeah. like, like the notion that you would name a song Everybody's Cool But Me ought to be like incredibly Well, it was stupid. clever. Like, it was clever. That was the thing that I thought was funny. funny. I mean, it's yeah. such a fucking absurd thing to say. Like, makes absolutely no sense. And then like, I don't do drugs anymore. It's just like, what the fuck are you talking? And well, actually, it's like, like, I'm drunk on your love. Like, I love that. Like, that's, e- yeah. Yeah, yeah. The EP that's like, that it's going to be on, which is called Everybody's Cool With Me. The the I don't do drugs anymore is followed up on an interlude with the title, But What If I Like Drugs? Like, <laughs> yeah. like it's just like, it's like this big fucking epic statement about I don't do drugs anymore. It's just like, what an absurd thing to sing in a hook. And then just like immediately like, yeah, I don't even know. Like, that's, sorry, I was just on some, I was on some shit when but, I sang that. But, but I, think, I think that that's, that's very much the wave of artistry that people are connecting to in this yeah. current sort of culture era. I think we're like, I mean, I think it's maybe reaching a critical mass, but I think for the, for the most part, we millennials like when the artists are like, kind of like, you know, there's a little bit of a meme to it. There's a little bit of like a self-deprecation. There's like, we like those those elements. Yeah, just the in, feeling in, that like shit isn't very like, well, no, ca- no one is very confident in who they are. You know, yeah. right. like they're like constantly contradicting themselves and just sort of like trying to figure out why things don't feel quite right or settled or whatever. And that's like mm-hmm. that feeling of growing up. I, I love smile like an Thank idiot. You. That's like, I was in a somewhat similar scenario. And yeah. I don't know if you like wrote it from a place of, yeah, yeah. of truth, but I'm like, yeah, I would say it's like loosely inspired by like a combination of a lot of things that have happened, but no, it's definitely like heightened. Like I just wanted to really imagine like the most, preposterously terrible <laughs> thing that could happen to you. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like details that are all pulled from shit. But I think like what's really the, the, the part that's really true about that song is just the chorus of just like, like you just look at your life and it's like things really fall apart and you start to just be like, I can't even like process this as sad because it's so fucking stupid. And it's like, mm-hmm. you just start like laughing at it kind of shit. That's the thing. I, I think that like, there've been so many times in my life where like everything just goes to shit. So like quick, I'm just like, all right, here here we are. Like, then yeah, I just keep yeah. on doing the. Doing I feel like the, in a way yeah. that actually is like that itself is maybe partly my response to a lot of the more serious music that's right. coming out. It's just like, okay, well, you y'all can mope and shit, which is totally. I'm gonna fine smile too. like an idiot. Like I'm out here just being like, you you have to laugh. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the first time we hung out, I said you were like effortlessly chill. I feel like I'm like a live wire all the time. I'm hoping just right. like over the next couple of years, I like mellow out. Just like I don't know when I got. Bit. Everyone thinks of me as really chill, and it's you funny. are a chill guy. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I think I probably am, but it's it's really funny because I definitely was not that way at all in high school, <laughs> and even maybe through a lot of college, but. I don't know when or how it happened, but I think maybe <laughs> I just like came out. Well, maybe it's once I came into like the pop music world and like overcompensated being like, well, I don't want to come off like a neurotic, you know, well, Yale I, fucking <laughs> Jewish dude, you know? So I just like really overcompensated and now just like am living this chill life where I'm just like, 
But the thing is also, I'm just like living my fucking best life. It's like everything that, you know, like everything is fucking amazing. Like I pretty much never wake up and have to do anything I don't want to do, except in the (laughs) tiniest sense. Just like, oh, I guess I got to like send stems for this, you know? But it's like, no, it's like I never have to do a full day of like work doing something I don't like. And since I, you know, like the first couple of years really sucked, but like the last two or three years, it's just great. And it's like, I have nothing to complain about. Yeah, what's there to not be chill chill. Well, I, I, I feel that way. Like I very strongly feel like, holy, like whenever I get even like remotely sad, it's always good to like, presence being sad as as the chemistry that it is but like sometimes i'm just like holy shit like we did the thing we said we were gonna do but yeah i still feel like a lot of it comes from like my like kind of neurotic new york jewish yeah like tendency True. whereas i had a friend one time uh refer to noah as intimidatingly calm intimidatingly calm yeah which i i would de- i would describe at times like i think when i first first met you when we first hung out i'm like oh man i'm i feel like i'm like buzzing all the time i get really animated when someone brings up a topic that i feel very strongly about or against <laughs> but I, that doesn't come out that much in a music setting because I usually just don't want to get into arguments in a session, you know? Right. Like hey, people, people we brought I've known a... for a long time bring up a topic that I feel strongly about, I will fucking go off. And I, like, <laughs> and I go from whatever, like, slow, chill me to, like, just rampagingly fast, just, like, blurting out entire, like, paragraphs about why I fucking feel this way. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's nice that we started with the Amaro because at least, like, yeah, you know... Yeah, there probably was some of that with you that, know, for sure. You, sh- you should write a song called Amaro. Yeah, that might be pushing it, but yeah. it's, it's like loosely referenced in some songs. But yeah, I could probably sneak more of that shit in there. Or a song sure. Chinara, yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe eventually. I think, yeah. Yeah. Once enough people know what I'm on and shit. Yeah. And like, then I'll do it because it'll be like something that I can own and people are actually like. Well, um, like I know like Thomas Middleditch does this thing where he reviews chips. Like every every yeah, stand up yeah. show he plays, he'll he'll ask the venue to get him a bag of local cool. chips, and he get, does this really funny review. Oh, on stage? Uh, no, just just in in his Instagram. Uh, um, but it's very like it's like he like plays himself off like a chip connoisseur, and he kind of is, and yeah, that's part yeah. of the joke. It's just like why is he so into chips? Yeah, no. So like, like I totally appreciate it. It's just like yeah. <laughs> uh, the lyric you wrote down. What uh, what's the lyric? Oh, I said uh, I think it says boomers boomers took it all and left us here to die. That's not nice. a song that's out. It's gonna be. I think it's gonna be on an interlude on the album. Like this is just kind of something that I like realized today was the song that I had had sitting around that probably is never gonna be made into a full song. It could work as like a minute long thing, mm-hmm. um, and that has that lyric in a verse. I love that. Um, that's great. But that's, that's pretty much been, yeah. a lot of that shit's been creeping into the into the the overall themes. Of well, this it's hard album. not to be frustrated. Yeah, and also just like when you really try to zoom out and be like, well, okay, yeah, like we're all like a bunch of young kids who like party and have this sort of like aimlessness and sort of lack of clarity about where our lives are going or when we're going to hit adulthood or how anyone is ever going to own a house or be debt free or anything (laughs) else like that. Right. You know, or get married or have kids or any of that shit. Right. In this fucking planet, you know, in this situation. Right. That that's enough. Like you can just write songs about that stuff. That's just kind of like, well, fuck it. Smile like an idiot. Blah, blah, blah. All these songs that I've been writing that are already kind of doing that shit. Mostly stuff that you haven't heard yet because it's not out yet, but just like really getting into this sort of like this feeling of being, in your 20s, I guess, or even your late teens, maybe, and just kind of, like, looking at the world and being, like, so, like, what am I supposed to do now type of shit? And, yeah. like, like, like whatever, you know, shit you learn from TV or movies doesn't really seem to apply anymore in the way the country is right now. Um, well, I feel like I have this, like, overwhelming frustration about about so many things, and, and so, so much of our songs now are coming from that place, that it's about the frustrations of having options the frustrations yeah the paradox of, of, of choice yeah the frustration of i mean that's part of it too parents I think. the it's just like a very yeah. unstructured thing compared to what it used to be which is i think like a good thing and like you know you have more freedom than you probably ever did in a lot of senses but in a lot of other ways it's like 
the, the American dream of just like, no, you just like go to college. It's not that expensive. You go, you don't have to be in debt. You just work a job while you're there. Yeah, you just work a job and then eventually then you, you own a house. Then you get a job and then you get a job. house because it's like that was how it's structured. And it's like, like. We don't have that anymore. Yeah. And so it does feel like. I mean, I, I'm not one who's going to say like the world's getting worse because I actually <laughs> really don't feel that way. I think no. the world's getting better. But it also just feels like all of us who are sort of like starting to grow up right now in America are like just confused. Well, uh, and I sort feel of like, like lost. And I feel like I really want it. So it's like I've started to creep into these lyrics, <laughs> not just that feeling and the results of that feeling, but to start just like throwing these little lines about like, how did we get here? Yeah, yeah. by the way, like the whole world's been destroyed and like the planet's well, about to fucking And everybody die, at this, know? like everybody at yeah. this table at least has lost the ability to want that sort of version of it. Like I got a friend, uh, like my best friend in Philly, he has a, a much more normal looking life and much more normal looking ambitions than I do. You know, I forget that like we sort of surround ourselves by people who want the same things, but we've lost the ability to sort of accept, oh, that's the path that like we want to go down. So it could have been so much easier if we just decided, oh, this is what we want. We want the house, we want the kids, we want, you know, to do the thing. But instead it's like, oh yeah, I also want world domination. We were unfortunately cursed with wanting to have cultural impact. Yeah, which fucking, yeah, that's the whole... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it definitely is like exacerbated. Like the fact that I'm in the music industry while other friends of mine are like getting married and shit makes yeah. me yeah. feel even more but even, like I don't have my shit together, which is like even even better. Like it's just this whole thing of just like, oh, I'm totally like lost at sea type of shit, even <laughs> though things are going well. Yeah, it's but like, even I think even the people who take a traditional route and go to fucking, I don't even know what, what you do now, go to law school, study IT, I guess. I mean, like, that's if you're like, like really privileged, I think like, you know. Yeah, even that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I think everyone's feeling lost. Like there's, the, you know, the, the, the path isn't isn't clear as clear for anyone. Are you uh, are you ready for the question round? Sure. <laughs> First question: What is your phone background? It's a, mm. it's a picture of two types of Amara. Nice. <laughs> my friend, I was in Seattle with my friend Beldina, who's a singer uh, who I produce for, and she, I had like, I've had, I had the default iPhone background my entire time that I had an iPhone, <laughs> and she was just like that stupid and changed it because we were at an Amara bar. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Um, what's your, do you have a non-musical hobby? I mean, yeah, I think we've spent a considerable <laughs> yeah, amount of time talking know. about it. <laughs> I mean, there's that. And then the other one is like, I'm a huge, uh, like theme park and roller coaster expert, like mostly dating back to when I was like really young, but it's weirdly started just because like the. What do you mean by expert? That's the thing. Yeah. That- <laughs> like, like I just like know, like basically what all the major roller coasters are in the world, the stats, where they are, when they were built, who built them. Like, I just, you know, I know like what the, which ones are. You're good a roller coaster why. expert. Yeah, like the, the, yeah, they, they call them roller coaster enthusiasts. <laughs> yeah. The best parks are, are Six Flags parks for roller coasters. I, I should say it's like, it's really roller coaster specific, like specific, like, and, um, and like carnival rides to some degree. I was into that shit, but what are like, car- I do not care about like Disneyland. Like I don't care about right. that shit. It's, it's gotta be like big roller coasters. What are, what are like a, what's a roller coaster statistic? Like, can you give, not to put you on the spot, but like, what do you, give me a roller coaster. What do you know about this roller coaster? Give me a roller coaster. I, wa- I want Spider-Man. <laughs> well, the Superman at Six Flags New England is like, that was like the big one there. Uh, they changed it to Bizarro and painted it purple, and they changed it back to Superman. It used to be Superman <laughs> Ride of Steel. Now it's Superman. Uh, I think it's just called Superman the Ride. Uh, built by Intamin. It's a Swiss company. I think it was probably 1999, and it's the first drop is 225 feet. It's 208 feet tall, but it's 225 feet down into a tunnel, so mm. the tunnel gives you the extra. Uh, yeah, it's over a mile long. I mean, I know the layout. Like I can literally draw you the layout. For you. <laughs> I, like, I mean, that was like at my home park. But yeah, definitely like... It's a good ride. 
That this is the coolest. They changed the restraints on it apparently, and apparently it, like is not that good anymore because the restraints are like way too constraining, and like you can't get that kind of like out of your seat floating as much. But less kids dying, right? One less kid dying. Yeah, <laughs> I would. You know, that's all it takes. One one kid. I dying. guess. Yeah, I know it's like a new Massachusetts law, but like there's similar rides in other states in America that are like have the same restraint system it used to have, where they just didn't change it because the state law didn't change there. It's just kind of like so fucking dumb, man. And I haven't been back since they changed it, but I'm kind of dreading that it's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to have the same. Um, next question is, what do you have a skill that you would like to have? A skill? I'm not really big on skills. I think I'm like kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't really respect skills that much. I'm much more into like knowledge, I guess. What's it's an kinda, area of knowledge you wish you had? I mean, I guess it'd be interesting to like, well, I mean, yeah, I guess like just because I know I'm interested in like doing this shit with classical music and the future of classical music, I do think like at some point. I would love to have like a deeper understanding of like to what extent it was pop culture in Europe when it was in its heyday. Mm. Interesting. Like, cause I always say like, you know, well, classical music is like clearly not pop culture in America today. It's closer to pop culture in Europe. Like it's not really pop culture, but like people do go to the opera in Europe. Yeah, it's like right. fairly normal to go to the opera there in a way that it's not here. But obviously the idea in my mind is that in the 1800s, people just went all the time and like that shit was very common and it was, it was like right. mainstream culture on some level. I wish I'd really had a clear idea of that shit. I, there's like certain little data points, like 30,000 people went to Beethoven's funeral, which obviously says that he was on some level like a celebrity, like right. name a classical composer today who could have that reach period. Like there's no one. Right. So it's like, that tells you something, but it's like, I feel, I really wish I had a clear handle on exactly what the yeah. fuck was going or on. Even like the mania, you know, I, I'd be so interested to know, like did people, yeah, people you know, talk about it, but was that just really like a few rich people who wrote the history books? Or yeah. Was it actually yeah, mass culture. Like I would just love to know what it was and how it operated. I mean, it's like, it may be irrelevant cause like we don't live in an aristocracy anymore. And it's almost <laughs> like, it almost doesn't matter what it was like there. Like you can't compare and like what we have, what I want to do maybe doesn't need a precedent at all. You know? It's like, right. do people like stand up and like cheer, you know? Like, yeah, what's, for sure. I mean, that's, know, the, that's, that's the, how people to talk about it, at least. It's certainly yeah. the opera. Obviously, like Shakespeare, stuff like that, people describe it having been that way. You know, just like the rabble. It was like fully popular entertainment. Yeah, um, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, honestly, that's... It, I don't know what the extent of that was, though, and I yeah. wish, uh, I wish I, I don't know, it'd be interesting to know more. But it's not something that's like easy to get an answer from, from music historians because that's not ever really been their topic either. Yeah. What fictional universe would you like to live in? I guess like Rick and Morty or something oh, like that. Nice. I mean, I guess, well, we don't know if it's fictional or not, I guess, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I think that's the whole point. That's a good one. What would you say your superpower is in life? My superpower? I think I'm just like really like analytical. That's like, mm -hmm. I don't, I think I'm just like really, really, really hyper rational. And I think like, it's, it's, it's like, it's kind of become this thing that's easy to make fun of in recent years because there's been so many, like the proliferation of like bros who are like, I am rational, like right. argue me with logic and like Ben Shapiro and all these fucking right, morons yeah. who are like actually incredibly illogical, but use logic yeah, as they, like they, the they main. Yeah, they tout logic as like. Yeah, that's like their thing. cudgel, but yeah. that's also just like, you're like, there's so many just like gaping logical inconsistencies in their own <laughs> shit. So I'm wary of like being like, I'm into logic, but it's like, I actually do uh, think that, I don't know. I guess like I would say maybe, maybe a better way to frame it is like, I basically never have an, like an observation that is not immediately followed with the thought like, well, why does that happen? And then thinking about it until I've either figured out why it happens or like arrived at some question that you can like Google that I like try to figure out until I know why it happens. Like, right. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like you can learn a lot about the world if you like are relentlessly curious about not to pat myself on the back, but I guess that's the whole point of the question yeah. is uh, <laughs> to just be like, every time you have a thought, 
just like, well, why is that happening? Like, how did that happen? You know, no, that's, so, and, that's very much how my brain works. Yeah. And like the more you kind of like realize stuff, the more you realize like a lot of things fit into patterns. Actually, you can usually pretty quickly answer, well, why is that person acting in that way? Well, you know, most people act that way because, you know, there's something that they're trying to like basically compensate for. There's this something that they're afraid of or whatever, you know, like basically it's a like protective instinct, whatever it is, people, things systems, machines, culture, whatever. If I don't know it, I look it up until I know it. <laughs> so on that note, would you be a pirate? Right now? No, in pirate times. Oh, like in like like a not a Somali pirate, but like <laughs> no, not a, a Somali pirate. An English pirate in the in the or yeah, like a, or like an internet pirate. We just change that question so just be like, would you be no, a little no, tiny no, pirate? I'm the only person yeah. who's gonna hold you to that. No, other people have asked. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, would you, Somali pirate or no? That's good for them, man. They they know what's going on. <laughs> are there still? I guess there probably are. Captain Phillips. Um, would I have been? Yeah, I mean, I suppose, yeah. I mean, it, it seems similar kind of in spirit to like what music is. It's very like, you know, lawless and kind of like, you know, you have to be, have a relatively high risk tolerance and all that type of shit. I suppose know? so. But like on the level of like, you are operating within a group of criminals and like in that system, like, are you the type of but person? criminals like just relative to the law system that you're in, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, that, I, don't that, feel, my, I don't feel that's true. My argument is like too. criminals, but like the people who are obeying the laws are like selling slaves. Like my, my argument is always, if you were a pirate in old timey times, you would be, you would, you couldn't, I think it's naive to assume that you could exist in that system and not like be like sucked into the more morally. Yeah, I guess I don't like, know enough history about like what the exact stakes were with, with yeah. the piracy. I, like my my awareness of that time though, and again, I'm more talking like Caribbean, like Pirates of the Caribbean. Only Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, is is that like you either were destitute, to which case fuck all, or you were in the aristocracy, which is morally corrupt, or you're a pirate, which is a different kind of moral corruption, but like at least like you're taking for yourself as opposed to like fucking over an entire like civilization. I think it'd probably just be like more exciting. I mean, I think that would, I think that's really the only thing to really look That's kind of where it is. I want a boat. I want to, I want yeah, like a just big, like, I yeah. think just like a lot less predictable than like being a surf or something, you know? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Do you have any tattoos? No. What would your first tattoo be if you were gun to your I head? I had the idea a while ago for a, a tattoo that was more or less just like a, like um sort of the shape of like a, a filled in triangle. Like basically it's like a graph of a triangle that like ascends as you go to the right. Mm. And so it's like, there's a bottom line, there's like an ascending line above it, and then there's a vertical line on the other end of it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's basically just like a graph. And the idea was that I'm gonna peak when I'm dead and it's a graph of my life and you peak just, <laughs> and never. there's never like a downward slope. It just, it just drops off because the, like the most exciting, <laughs> most crazy, like interesting shit <laughs> It's just gonna, nothing like, but it's up. Like, yeah, nothing but up until I die. And it's like, if, if that ever feels like that's changing, I think that would be. I'm not even sure I feel as strongly as that. I mean, that was four years ago when I was talking about that. I'm not sure I feel as strongly about what, it What's the book? Uh, is it Infinite Jest or is it He Died With His Potential Intact? I don't remember what that's from. I've been trying to find that I book like that. forever. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, I feel like you want to just exhaust it, but you just want to exhaust You know, like, like I want to be fucking like doing heroin and shit at 85. Yeah, I want to go out like Aldous Huxley on like yeah, so yeah, much yeah, LSD. Yeah, yeah, It's, it's got to be like, like a just phase out of this plane yeah, of existence. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think at the same time, though, like maybe in the last few years and stuff, like maybe I've like reached a point. I honestly hadn't thought about that in a couple of years that like it's possible at some point I would be comfortable just kind of like sitting back and just taking it all in. But I, I don't know. It, I, you wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to retire certainly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like, one like of the Walt reasons... Disney was designing Epcot on his deathbed. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I would like to be that. Um, what was the first concert you attended? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like hard to like, it would have been like classical concerts probably. Right. I mean, it's like, I didn't, I, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I didn't go to like, 
I never went to any kind of like rock or pop or hip hop concert until I worked in the industry. Hmm. Um, well, then what was what was the first like composer? I guess you or conductor. I mean, it probably would have been something with the Boston Pops, and probably something with John Williams conducting, and something mm-hmm. with like maybe played like the Schindler's List theme or some <laughs> shit like that, or the fucking you know something from. Was some, there was there one ET mo- maybe? Was there mm-hmm. one movie score ET that really, really hit you? Yeah, lately ET like the last. There's like this 15 minute sequence at the end of the movie that he like. I guess like famously for film scoring people like Spielberg recut the movie around his music slightly just which is like no director would ever do because he was just like I really want this to work musically right yeah that sequence is really good but at the time it was like yeah I mean the first soundtrack that got where I never even thought about film music I never saw movies really like it was really like a pop culture like not just pop music but pop culture in general I was like very oblivious to my entire upbringing so even video games were you into video games growing up uh, not at all. I've never really played video games. Cause I, like my, my first sort of introduction to like or, like instrumental and orchestral music was Legend of Zelda. Yeah, yeah. Followed by like Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, my dad bought me the soundtrack to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is the third one, and I like had that soundtrack but hadn't seen the movie for years. I knew <laughs> I knew the music like literally note for note and had never seen the movie. Like it was, I really didn't see movies and stuff. So that was the first one. That was the first time I was just like, whoa, shit. And then I got more into the other soundtracks that he had written, and then mm-hmm. the other music he had written. And then started taking composition lessons, then got into classical. Were you ever into Beasts of the Southern Wild? Yeah, yeah, it's tight. He's awesome. He, uh, yeah. yeah, he was like a big. What's influence. his name again? Dan Romer. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, or yeah, Ben Zeitlin no, was no, the yeah, director. No, no, Dan Romer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Beasts of the Southern Wild was like the first one where I was like, oh, I, I like it. Yeah, it's stuff. cool. Yeah. I like that movie a lot. I mean, it's definitely really interesting. Another movie they had is this movie that came out of like, a couple months ago. It's called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. If you haven't seen it, it's like really, really, really fucking good. I, I saw the trailer it. for that. The music in that is it's similar to that music. It's like it's it's all, but it's like it. Like the same way that movie was only like, like cellos and like glockenspiels and yeah. shit. It's like this really narrow palette and like brass. I think this one is all just brass and woodwinds and just these sustained like textures of like woodwind quintet or like brass. <laughs> it's just like I love the specificity of that. Did, yeah. did you ever watch um, um, another, the best? Is uh, the uh, P.T. Anderson. Um, Punch Drunk uh, Love? No, no, no the, the, the fame, like, uh, fuck, what's it called? The fucking movie in the desert where the oil man is. Just oh, like, uh, there drink, will be blood. There will be blood. Like, yeah, it's like the yeah. string quartet, pretty much the entire movie. Oh, right? yeah. There's also some, like, Brahms violin concerto, I think, and some other things, but it's basically string quartet, the whole movie. It's a fucking, it's just really narrow palette. It's so good. I was, like, introduced to, like, synthesizers, but also, like, the idea of sampling through um, Upstream Color by Shane Carruth. You ever watch yeah. that? Um, Shane no. Carruth made Primer, which was, like, the time travel movie, but his wow. second movie. There's this one scene, and the character's name is The Sampler. And what he would do is he would walk around with a mic and, like, you know, bang rocks together and, like, get the sounds of, like, telephone wires buzzing and stuff and make synthesizers out of it and make songs out of it. But the score for it was incredible. And it feels really dumb now. No, it's tight. I mean, I was really excited. I was in a a session the other day, and, like, the dude I worked with sampled a bunch of Amaro because we did a session at my spot of course (laughs) sampled a bunch of Amaro bottles that I had and just like knocked on them with different shit and put the sounds in the song yeah that's great stuff I think people underestimate just how I mean because obviously Splice is and you know, yeah, incredible. I don't use plays. I, I tried it for like a week and it was just, just like, nah, it's not for me. It's, it's a big part of what we do. But I mean, I get it. I mean, I think it is for most people. Maybe I just wasn't using it right and shit, but it's just like I've, gr- I've I've built such a weird specific system for like where, like what I do sonically and where I get the sounds from. And the idea yeah, of just having access to like everything ever. Right. Just yeah, like I, 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 I really up, didn't make I, me feel comfortable. Every time I, I open like up it. Splice, I have a little mini panic attack. 
Like, yeah, it, I didn't like, like it. From an information perspective, like seeing like all of the sound design and having access to all the sound design, I'm like, ah, this is too much for my brain to handle. Yeah. Like, I use splice for like snares at this point. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I like that snare. But it's and like, it's, like I, the way I do that is it's like I just have like a folder of like the ten snares I give a shit about, and I never think about it. Like I just yeah. use those, and it's like. Huh. I don't know. It also helps. Like I have this dude, Nate Donmoyer, who uh, is like, I finish all my shit with. So it's like the, the last five to 10% of the producing and mixing and stuff is him. And so he usually will actually change out the snares anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I'm, right. I feel like he would do that no matter, like, I'm, I'm just, I don't know what Eric to listen for. Eric does that on for. our kicks sometimes, yeah. Yeah, and the kicks, right. So it's, I don't really know what I would listen for to make, the, like, it's not like he picks a different type of snare. Like, he just picks a better version of the exact like type sonically, of snare I pick. yeah, it's just like this. Yeah, does, they just like punches a little more. different or like, or like he he's aware of like these sort of like, historical reasons why like well you know like these drums tend to be part of the same kit and you're doing the stylistic thing by work putting them in together <laughs> and like then this one sound really stands out as like not making sense with that and like mm -hmm. he'll like that'll bother him and that's a good like, perspective to have though. yeah i guess and it's shit that i just like will never in a million years give a shit about but it's right. like, but i do think it probably makes the music better for a lot of people's ears and like it's cool well, that fits in the same place. But I'm not, I don't, like, I have this, I just have, like, these are the 10 Travis Scott snares that are good. And, like, here's, <laughs> right, yeah. you know, a couple, like, DJ Mustard snares. That's, like, like, pretty much all you need, they're though, fine. at the end of the day. I mean, I, I do, because we both came from, like, a folk background, so I do like it when there are those sort of organic elements. In the yep. in the newer stuff we're doing now, we have been trying to have, like, acoustic guitars yeah, or yeah. things in there. And, and even we did, like, a, a remix this weekend where um, a big... Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was more ambient, but like a lot of rhythmic information was coming from just like chucking on a mandolin. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. you know, like well, yeah. I like that stuff. Yeah, I mean, and like and aside from the eight oh eight, the kicks and the snares, I mean, all of the sound in my music period is made from samples of that I've recorded of string instruments and yeah. orchestral instruments and my voice. So it's like, and I found so many crazy ways to manipulate those things right. and to get every possible sound that I want so that I don't need, like I don't use any synth sounds. I don't use any, it's like literally just 808s, drums right and fucking orchestral and vocal sounds. and yeah so it's like, which in a weird you know in so a that's sense, my way of doing it but that's a very kind like, like early kanye ethos is like use your voice use sure. the things that are sort of around to like you know yeah, and it, it makes work. sense for me because it's like i'm trying to convey this whole classical thing that i've had a relationship to and like yeah, really use sure. that skill and use those relationships and just my understanding of those instruments to get something that's that's interesting um that like it's specific like i can't like if you come in you're like yo i really want to make this like funk style record maybe it would be better if i was on splice for that because then i could just pull those sounds and know how to do them which i wouldn't know how to do otherwise but that's part of the deal of like me having arrived where i am now is that i just don't do shit like that i just i only go into situations where people know what i'm gonna bring right yeah and i like i'm still developing that but i have a thing that i do and that's basically the only thing i do you know? well, well that's yeah. that's what i thought was wise. clever about like um everybody's cool with me and how it opens is you know i like it's not like an Alberti bass, but it has that kind yeah, of like yeah. classical, sure. like arpeggio kind of thing going. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is what this guy is about. And then you have like, you know, a sort of down tempo, yeah. sort of hip hop beat with like yeah. killer hooky. And know, I think like, that yeah. was like probably, probably the thing that I, I didn't like really get there by calculating my way into it. But that was, I think, the thing that took the longest to figure out was right. like everyone knew that I had this classical background. Everyone knew that I was like mostly working in hip hop and had done things like Yeti or whatever. Yeah. And then they weren't hearing that in the music. And I never it was taking me a long time to figure out how to get it to work. Actually, like a really critical part of what happened for that was when I met Kanye, one of the main things that he 
said in person and on the phone and, and like that he was trying to do with the Tiana album was have these orchestra moments that I was making be discrete moments in the song instead of like background textures. Right. So instead of like, instead of what almost everyone else I've ever worked with wants, which just put strings over the chorus and the bridge or something like that. He was like, no, I actually don't really care if there's strings over any of those sections. I want strings as an outro or strings as a bridge. That's the only thing happening. And that's the bridge or right. the pre-chorus yeah. or whatever. Right. And I was like, the album ends up only, it only did a little of that. Like it didn't do it nearly to the extent that he was kind of describing it, I guess, at least in my mind. Right. But I now do that shit in yeah, everything. And it was yeah. purely because Kanye was just like saying that shit. So literally Yeezy taught me. And like now every fucking song I do, I try to find these sections where like, certainly the ones I have out now, you can hear it. It's like, well, there's this random intro that's in a different key or there's this bridge that has nothing to do with the rest of the song or everybody's cool with me goes on for 40 seconds of orchestral crap after the song is over. <laughs> Because it's like, why like put it all on top of each other where no one can hear it? Like give it its own yeah. structural role in For the sure. song. But that's what I appreciate about your music was that like, it's there. You can tell that these are the things that you're excited about. Yeah. And it's, Good. it's you know. I mean, it's only going to get hopefully a lot crazier. With right. This I really want to like, yeah. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, I fucking hate karaoke. It's probably like Sweet Caroline or something. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great, that's a great. Because well, the that problem is like most slaps. of the big pop songs tend to have these like higher voice, like Bruno Mars, like. Right. Adam Levine register shit and I can't do that stuff that effectively. Like I just, my voice sits in a different place. So a good way to, um, just sing sweet Caroline. Some of those Bieber songs from a couple of years ago would probably be pretty good now. Cause those are, they actually sit a little lower too, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, like, what mean, do you mean and shit? Yeah. I like, love yeah. that song. It's so good. I, I say I don't have a low register. But no one so wants I, to hear what do you mean at a fucking karaoke bar. They want to hear, like, don't stop believing in shit. And I can't sing that. High, yeah. You know? Every time I, I go to karaoke, it's always just the Fleetwood Mac song. Oh, it's dreams? never not. It's always dreams. Oh, I love yeah. playing dreams. everyone's karaoke. I do. Song. I do a, either "Sugar We're Going Down" or "Come Clean" by Hilary Duff. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I hate karaoke. Like I, I'm down to go there, but it's like I hate being in that. It's just like it's not fun for me to have to like more pop culture. What would you say your favorite movie, book, and TV show are? Respect. God, TV show. I know. Man, I, I don't. I really don't watch a lot of movies or TV, and I've never read a book. So I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, we can I'm, skip over all. Yeah, of we can it. skip over yeah. all. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, you know, I have like weird taste, man. Like, I'm really into that movie, The Big Short. That's, <laughs> That's a good movie. I've watched that movie like ten or fifteen times. I'm sure oh, it will whoa. change. What, I don't think what, it's the best movie ever, but it's definitely like a movie that I just personally really enjoy watching. What is it about it that you has had you watch? I just liked. I don't know. It's it just provoked my curiosity. I think, and so mm-hmm. I really got interested in that topic. And like, I mean, I like movies that are just like somebody like Social Network and. If you saw Spotlight, which is about mm. the Boston. Did you ever yeah. watch Molly's Game? No. I think you would really like it. It was Jessica Chastain, but it was about the. Right. Um, oh yeah, Zero Dark Thirty for sure. Yeah, it's up there. I love that movie. Yeah, it was about the um, uh, poke like a celebrity poker ring that um, mm. that this right. woman Molly started. But what was really cool about it was that I mean, one Aaron Sorkin wrote it, so it's it's fucking fast, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. But also there, the narration is very much like this is what you need to know. Yeah. Like very informative, very analytical. She she basically I like that stuff. Yeah. I like the idea of. Just just like somebody, yeah, like, or a group of people taking on a system and like, you know, Moneyball, I really liked, mm. you know, just, and then just like surprising people. Jurassic Park, I think, is actually one of the best movies I've ever. Like, that's still one of my favorite. Oh, yeah. Jurassic, Jurassic, the first Jurassic Park is actually well, an incredible movie. movie. Sure. School that's of really Rock. Good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Books. Right. I mean, actually, I think Step Brothers is like a really good movie. Like, yeah. as far as comedies go, I feel like that's like shockingly good and like kind of smart and shit. It's really good. I, I like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's one of yeah. my favorite movies. Yeah. Well, I still say Scott Pilgrim's one of my favorite movies. Oh, it's a great even movie. Even though it's like, you know, it's like, it's... It's, it's, it's irreverent, but it's like, it's that's what I wanted it it's, to be. It's, yeah. just, it's, just ex- it's just executed so well. Like, it's yeah. just, there's not ever going to be another movie like Scott Pilgrim. Like, it was just 
anyway. Well, well no, Scott, I mean, Scott Pilgrim is about self worth and how when you find mm-hmm. self worth, you can fall in love. Yeah. And that you shouldn't put one in front of the other. And I'm like, that's awesome. You yeah. know, and, and about letting go of baggage. That's the whole thing. It's about love that's and baggage and self worth. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also just like edited. Like it's an Edgar Wright movie. It's an Edgar Wright so movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just tone, it's edited tone. like a comic book. Yeah. yeah. Truly feel like a comic book. Um, do you have a favorite sound? Sound? Yeah. Like in like nature. The sound of an Amaro opening. <laughs> I love the sound of orchestras tuning. I like the sound of a beer being cracked open or or a soda, I suppose. Yeah, the sound of orchestra tuning definitely. Yeah, it definitely just puts you in a certain mood. It's just like, oh, that's, yeah, Yeah. the sound of orchestra tuning. Definitely feel you on that. Good one. You like Sondheim? Not Sondheim, um, yeah. Schwartz, Stephen Schwartz. I like Sondheim better. You know the opening number of Pippin? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I love like when, when it's the like organ, the orchestra. It's like this one organ note. Oh, yeah, yeah it comes no, it, out of it, right. It's it's the, the orchestra tuning and then it, it all like rises up. And they, hold, up, the a, though, and then they right? hold that, yeah. I never yeah. noticed that. It's really cool. I feel like we didn't do that. We did it. I conducted it actually at, really? in college and I don't think we. This, cause that I was like a, that show. That I was like a Steven new... Schwartz. Like I respect, I mean, he definitely like is the goat in terms of like he made like shows that. Yeah, I mean, he made really, Wicked, yeah. You know, him and, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber or whatever. whatever. Like, I definitely, like, I was, like, obsessed with Sondheim. I think, like, musically that shit was always yeah, my Sondheim. favorite still is. But Music. I think I've basically arrived at the position now that, like, most of his shows don't really work at all dramatically and sort of, like, have, like, huge problems and are just, like, weirdly divorced from, like, human emotion and shit. And, and I, would, like I would argue that Sondheim didn't necessarily work musically from like a pop music perspective what i mean to say well, is no, that he hated that shit. yeah like, he, 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 he but i liked it because never. from a classical music perspective right it was yeah. like pretty similar to a lot of stuff that i like i mean i think sonic was just like living in a world where he saw it as like maybe not as necessary to have it do that yeah Steve Schwartz had like yeah he had, he had other stuff he was chewing and he was on, trying yeah. to make like really just good shit and i think i mean a lot of aspects of it are and like large sections of those shows are and a couple of the shows i think speed todd's like pretty close basically works but some of the shows just like like Sunny the Park with George or like Merrily We Roll Along or something just like don't work at all. Like they really just don't. Like, I mean, they hit you, you know, in the moment for sure. But I mean, good, c- company yeah. for me never really Company dramatically doesn't work hit, at all. Yeah. But like but the music is amazing and like of course. And I think like the songs individually have really interesting stories and stuff, but they're just like not fulfilling evenings. Like act two is always a fucking mess with his shows, I feel like <laughs> personally. Um, What's the best date you've been on? Best date? Well, I've been with the same, my, my girlfriend, we've, we've been long distance together for four and a half years. So wow. every time I see her, I mean, I mean, it's, you know, like, when we, we travel and like we go on some we go to some really fucking nice restaurants and shit and like <laughs> mostly in, in America we haven't been out of the country together but like the shit we do together is really great I guess the that's, first day we met actually was at the bar where the dude had the Amaro cocktail that got me the bar. So, I mean, like, that was pretty fucking faithful and we had this like massive meat plate that he set up and like so that was probably the best date I've ever been on that's, that sounds was, like a good good yeah, date it was, yeah. really good. And it was a good flex because she had never been there I don't think or maybe she hadn't she certainly didn't know him and so I was able so to you're like, like tight with the chef, yeah. and, and, but she was living in that city in New Haven and I wasn't there at the time. So I was like visiting New Haven for something and we met up and just like went on a date or whatever, mm-hmm. basically. I mean, it wasn't even really that I was just staying with her as a friend because we grew up together too, but didn't know each other that well and shit. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of turned up. It, we just ended up at this bar and I got to just like have this dude who I'm homies with just giving us like hundreds of dollars of free shit and like drinking <laughs> these nice drinks. It was like, it was that was like, a good I'll flag. I'll give you that. That was the best one. Can you whistle? No. Tight. Uh, do you have a scar with a story? <laughs> do I have a scar with a story? I have scars all over my face. I mean, I have like, there's one here. There's one here. Those are from the same thing. There's a couple others on my forehead. I have like multiple pieces of pencil lead in my hands. But like when I was a kid, I used to just like run around and like run into shit. And like, like uh, you know, ran into the corner of a wall, ran into the an organ, the corner of an organ bench one time, ran into the corner of a coffee table at my grandparents' house, fell out of bed one time and like smashed my head on like a... Uh, like this sort of ornate, like cast iron 
lamp base, which is how I got the one here and one here is on the last day of like this sort of like camp that's not like a sleepaway camp, but just like a day camp, I guess. And you know, I was like uh, first grade or something <laughs> and uh, hated that place and didn't have to go in the fifth day because I uh, instead woke up with scars over my face. And I had to go <laughs> <Nice>. to the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> it was awesome. And look, I wasn't even, wasn't even a pain and shit. I was never, none of these things ever hurt for me somehow. You're like, just like, whoa. Just have yeah. scars running in there. Yeah, parents just like, oh boy. <laughs> It's surprising great. I never like fucked my eye up or anything like that. More stitches. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, what are three thoughts you have at this very moment? At this very moment? You yeah. kind of like this kid like Nolan that I went to school with. So, um, that'll be my first one. He was in a band called Plume Giant, <laughs> which then went out to become a band called Pavo Pavo. And I think maybe it's going to become a different band. That's uh, that's one. I'm still keep looking in this direction. So your Stranger Things shirt, like obviously, like has nothing to do with the visual language of the show. So that's kind of interesting for me. Because especially because it's a branded shirt. Is this, is it's this shirt Netflix. is this supposed to be like? It's supposed to look like '80s style T-shirts, though, right? I guess so. I guess. But that's I've never idea. watched that show, so I guess that kind of struck me. Yeah, I just thought it was like '80s style shirt. Like it, it looks like yeah, like Flash Gordon or whatever. Yeah, it does have like yeah, 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 yeah. I love listening to podcasts on screenwriting. In a weird way, like that sounds helpful. It, yeah, I, I feel like I, I learn a lot more, and I get a lot more inspired by television writers and and movie writers than I do from like musicians and songwriters a lot of the time. Mostly yeah. because their commitment to getting a message across or challenging a theme or an argument is so ingrained in their in like the success of the work. Yeah. Whereas like you can have a song that isn't doing anything. You could have yeah. a song that isn't like. That is true. Isn't trying to accomplish anything. You're not trying to get from point A to point B. But right. so much of a movie and so much of a television yeah, yeah. show. I is, really like that. I yeah. actually really enjoy that. I, mean, I think I'll probably honestly get more into that. I, I imagine I will at some point. I'll right. send you. There's this I'm great. I'm working on a movie with a friend right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I just I wrote a feature two months ago. Wow. Um, but even television. And I see Bill Hader yeah. talk about his time writing jokes in SNL and also right. about working on Barry. It always really inspires me because it's like, here's this guy who's like, what I need to do is sell this joke or I need yeah. this character to go through this thing. Yeah. And this sort of obligation that he feels towards um, having something coherent uh, land. Yeah. I feel like I don't necessarily get that from a lot of music and a lot of songwriters that I listen to. Yeah. Whereas like for me, oh, that's like lyrically. Lyrically, yeah. yeah. And even sometimes sonically, like what the payoff is for a yeah. certain section or whatever. Yeah, Whereas try, for me, yeah. that's like so much of my writing process. I like that social shit. I have a yeah. friend who I hang with a lot who writes operas and I was hanging with him last night and he and I always have a debate because I'm very much on the train of like make stuff that has like a perfect structure. There's some things that work and just execute it basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's like a lot smarter than I am and just kind of like really deep in writing opera and shit right. like that. And he basically hates that shit. He's so bored by anything that feels like it follows any kind of formulaic structure or whatever. And the things that he's most excited about are just like insane, totally rhapsodic, <laughs> like just completely, right. you, know, you know what I mean? So it's just like, it's interesting because I'm like very much in this like commercial mode of thinking right now where it is like that, you know, just like, do the thing, well, hear the things that work, like, and just like find yeah. a way to be interesting within that. And he's just like, if it, if he recognizes the structure or the like, the hoops that they're making I, you jump through it all, he hates it. I and I do get that. I think I think you know, as music school students, you do have to go through that a bit. But I think I think that there is a very distinct art to finding like a couple key structural elements that work yeah, really yeah. well, and then like the art of repeating I think, them, yeah, and I don't think them. Like, he I would think, deny that, but yeah. I think he's just bored to tears by consuming any of it. Like, we always, we that, always yeah. talk about satisfaction. That the idea is you can have a weird rhyme or a weird line or a weird section as long as you can justify it in terms of 
like, are you boring your audience and are you satisfying what they want from the song? I think in a lot of ways, like you see where shows fail certain characters because in a sense you can get a character to do anything as long as you set right. it up properly but then you know you have Daenerys burning down a whole town more or less unprompted and you're like that doesn't make any sense right. like you could get her there yeah, of course. But, but you don't get the satisfaction of that arc when it just sort of happens out of the blue and so in a lot of ways like I feel like the sort of art of pop music is giving the people what they expect yeah and also providing the unexpected in, in expected ways. Yeah. You know, saying, okay, well, we're going to do something that you weren't necessarily planning on hearing, right. but we're going to sell that through a mode of satisfaction. Whether that yeah. it's doing something rhythmic or it's doing something harmonic or it's that. doing something lyrical that's interesting and intriguing so it satisfies and justifies its existence. I don't know it's challenging when I work with, like I work with this kid Choker sometimes and this other, uh, you know, like whether we're Cautious Clay, people like that. And it's always just like, I always just feel the need to like suppress my instincts to turn everything into like a more pop format and shit, structure wise or whatever. Yeah. Cause I just feel like, it's like, oh, these people, they hate this shit. Right? Yeah. They, like, you know, yeah, it's, and I'm just like so careful to like not do that. But a lot of times I find that they actually just have never even thought to do that stuff and don't even really know how it works. Like they're just mm-hmm. not even thinking in that way at all. Well, you know? it's yeah. like and reinv- if I actually like force the shit into a pop structure, sometimes people are kind of like, whoa, it's so cool. Like, you know, yeah. how'd you do that? It's like, they never thought to do that. They don't like working with people who do that because they don't like the ethos and stuff. <laughs> but it really wasn't like they like were like, how can I like, you know, yeah, I, I think like, deep down, I mean, they probably are obviously because they've been exposed to songwriting. Well, it's like, it's like life, reinventing but. the wheel. It's like, oh, you know, when people are like, oh, well, why doesn't this transition work? Why doesn't this thing work? It's like, oh, because you're subverting structure. And if you put it into structure, then that just sort of becomes a solution. But some people are like, well, I don't want a wheel here. And then yeah, it's and they'll, like, they'll okay, find it you know. eventually. And they'll find these kind of solutions that like maybe do in some deep way, follow basic rules of proportionality type of shit like yeah. that. But it's like. But they're not, yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously, like, nothing is, like, completely, you know, again, like, all these people are writing tonal music. You know, like, I came from a background where that was not a given, you know? Like, a lot of yeah. people were just writing fully atonal music, and that was what they were doing. For sure. You know, so, I mean, I definitely, yeah, like, obviously, everything is, like, somewhat part of the structure. But just having been in, like, the pop music machine, I guess, and seeing, you know, and just basically thinking of every song as having a verse, yeah. a pre, and a chorus. Yeah, it's, it's, like, really interesting with people who, like, don't in any way think about those things. Well, know? I didn't know what, like, a chorus was until I was like 18. Like I wrote pretty meandering folk music. And that's why when I was introduced to like pop structure and all that stuff, I realized, oh, this is why something works. And and it becomes, again, kind of like in the same way that film, you can actually put almost every film into like a five-act structure, into a three-act structure. Um, Even films that claim to subvert it are still following because if it doesn't, it doesn't work. And I think that what's interesting is that even when you, when there are artists who feel like they don't have structure, if the song is working, it's because there's some yeah, structural I, I, element I that is working. Yeah, then you mentioned proportionality. I feel like even if you're not like doing like a pop Max Martin math yeah. thing, like you like if you, you, right, have, people, you have repetition that's working. Eventually, yeah. yeah, and I think like great musicians probably intuitively do all that shit regardless. Exactly. But, but it's like there's a pretty wide range of things that can yeah, maybe the, hit those marks, and a yeah. lot of them don't. Well, when you think of like even like sonata form, how interesting it is that like. So you know that th- th- that structure is oh here's this thing that you heard and you remember right. let's end there you know let's yeah. end it with and and sprinkle a little bit of what we learned along in the B section and just bring it back and yeah, yeah. you know and- I agree with that I had a composition student one time and I pretty much all I taught him <laughs> and I was really really intent on drilling this in his head but it was like re- I think it was like his music just came out way better at least to my ears 
was basically just like thinking of everything as being either like AABA or AAB or whatever. <laughs> but the point being that like whatever the first thing is, you have to like significantly repeat and establish it before you do anything else. Yeah. And then when you do something else, do less of that than you did of the first thing. And we, then and then maybe go back to the first thing. We used, was, yeah. you know, we used but that to, could be like that could be a bar of music, that could be a phrase, that could be like a large section, and then it can also be the whole <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, I think it's that like, works on a on a micro level with like melody that, stuff as well. How but it want, is weird, yeah, I mean, when in pop music, like there really aren't that many choices and it can get kind of boring after a while when you think yeah. about it. It's just like, okay, well, every song is in a major key. So the first note of the verse, pre, and chorus, if you're gonna think about it, you're probably gonna try to have one of them be a one, one be a three, and one be a five, right? Right. Well, so then maybe you shouldn't think about it. Because like yeah. that's really not that many options, and it's like yeah. you can write some good songs that way. But it's like once you start realizing all the things that you can, you know, okay. Th so there's whatever. Again, there's three sections, right? If you're really thinking about it, one of the sections should start after the beat. One should start on the beat, and yeah. one should have a pickup to a beat. Exactly. Again, do you really want to have like every song you write for the rest of your life be subject to these strict rules? No, it's it, it drives you. you know crazy. What I mean, so then like don't think about it, right? Yeah. It's like I guess if you don't know why something's working or not, like you can check that shit out. But it's like you don't want to be, you know what I mean? Right. And then so on and so forth. It's like okay, so then so the verse is it like three things with a pause, three things with a pause, or is it like a, a, a b a b, or you know, it's yeah. like there's only like three or four options yeah, for what a verse can be. Options. Like they just like every hit song ever with a couple exceptions pretty much falls into again and, and going do you want to be restricted to that amount of shit like it's like i feel like after a while it's like fuck that's all we're doing is just fucking like deciding uh, yeah. which of like basically 36 options of like a song yeah. you can do and that's why that's why you know people like like amy allen and, and i forget the other person you, you mentioned yeah, they do like, some pretty weird shit yeah they do even they shit. are mostly you know but, so. but what i mean is like they're the people who like do that thing the best you and know? they like, actually get pretty weird i mean amy allen i think that's why i like her songs is they actually do like occasionally just like kind of fuck that stuff up a little bit and yeah. like you know but you know coming back down to subjectivity over analysis like nothing kills a session more than like talking about why something doesn't work from a theoretical standpoint with somebody who doesn't know theory at the end of the day it's like well, how does this feel and is it good right. in, in a yeah. sense that's always going to be thoughtless it's always going to come from an emotional yeah, I mean, yeah. place you know yeah i mean that's all you're really supposed to be doing in the first place what are you most excited about right now or i guess making my album yeah, I'm so fucking excited. I haven't, I've never done that, and I like, I've made EPs, and I never really plan them as EPs. I mostly just plan them as singles, and then kind of like string them together and add some transitions and stuff. But I really am going to try to make an album that like is just like perfectly <laughs> coherent as like one thing. Yeah, and it's so fucking gratifying to be able to just have the time to do that now. And like Nate, who I finish everything with, like to be able to have you know to know that things are starting to pick up, and like that he can commit way more days to like making sure we have the time to really do that so it's not just like i've always been obsessed with efficiency and i'm still being insanely efficient with this process and it's like i think we're gonna do the entire album in, in 28 sessions i think it's wow. gonna be a book you know the fact that you also plus, have that number like, is crazy a lot of songs yeah. have been, well i know i just like asked my manager who manages also nate i was like i was like i want two i was like i want one to two a week in august i want three a week in september and i want four a week for the first half of october and then we'll be done that's the plan <laughs> Right, yeah. and then I just looked at the amount he added. I just counted because I was curious, and it was like it was like twenty-seven or twenty-eight total sessions, and that's like not including some work we've done in some of these songs, and a lot of them I wrote in sessions with other people that have been done. But in terms of like whatever finishing shit we're gonna do to put this stuff together, finishing the verses, recutting the vocals, any additional, you know, like that's basically what I'm giving myself to do it in. Yeah. Do you have a like a? And it feels, sort of... but it's like so that's still efficient. I've always been obsessed with efficiency, but it's like it's not quite the like level of efficiency now where it's like. Well, like these are the bare minimum things that need to happen for this song to get done, and this is when we're going to do it, and then it'll be done, and then I'm going to go to a big Sean session. You know, like, <laughs> this is much more like 
we're gonna fucking like get weird and like we're gonna spend a couple days just working on the production on this song and like yeah you know just like yeah i'm like so excited i feel like i finally have a clear picture of like what it needs to be now it's just a matter of realizing it i'm like so excited to just do that it's really exciting um what are you most proud of i think there's like two things i mean i definitely i guess it's like too early like i can't do the victory lab and say i'm proud of like i feel like i have a pretty clear vision of like what i'm gonna do in terms of classical and how that's gonna happen like when that happens that'll be the thing i'm most proud of and i'm proud of where i've come because i don't think there's anybody in classical music who's thinking about it on the level that i am because i think they're just too like they're smart people, but they're just too like they don't have an awareness of like yeah. who they could be. Like they all know almost everyone in classical music is like, I wish we were reaching more people with this or like, mm-hmm. you know, like more relevant culturally and shit like that. But none of them have any concept seemingly of like who that would be or where those people live like culturally and how to target them or like where classical music could exist. And I have a pretty clear vision for it, which I haven't really. You bring a pop sensibility to it. Out. I wouldn't even call it that. I think it's just an awareness of an, like an audience that I think like I, 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 there's no way to talk about it without getting into it for another hour. But like, <laughs> like basically, I just feel like I have a really clear sense of that shit. I'm really proud of that. But I think like the thing I'm most proud of that I would just think is like, like, I don't think there's really anybody who was as deep into the classical world and I guess Broadway world to some extent, but especially the classical world who's like who just like stopped doing what they were doing, went into this shit and has come as far as I have yeah. in it while still like doing the classical shit and like being having a foot in that world it's like like there's people who've done one and then kind of did the other and there's people who did the other and then kind of do you know but it's like i feel like it's just like a testament to like really not me but just anyone and my belief that like you really can kind of will yourself to do anything if you just sort of like look at it rationally and break it down and just put the time in that like i had no connections in pop music at all i didn't know anyone who was doing anything in pop music and i just literally one night was just like all right i'm doing this now <laughs> got a copy of logic and just willed this shit to happen yeah. and not that it's like even close to where i want it to be but the fact that i'm where i am now i feel like it's just like a testament it's like oh well now i can like i can if i want to run for president one day i can figure that out it's like i can do anything i want it's <laughs> well, like, and it seems anybody can be know? president these days now <laughs> yeah well i i kind of felt that shit before trump did it because reagan had been an actor who i mean he at least ran for governor first but like that, and Kanye, by the way, that's why Kanye, I 100% can tell you, not from personal conversation, but just from feeling, I, I understand that dude, at least on this level, that the reason he fucks with Trump is because of that. It's yeah. because he like is someone who also has been doubted, who also tried to set foot in a world's that people were just like, no, this is close to you. Like, you can't do fashion. You can't be a rapper. You're a producer. Like, we're not going to take you seriously. And and he's always been the believer that, no, if you get famous enough, people will let you do anything. Right. Yeah. And sure. Trump 100% has proven that, but it was already true. I already knew that. And Kanye definitely like is feels validated by that. For sure. I mean, obviously Trump is a fucking horrendous <laughs> you know, yeah. disaster, but like, but yeah, I mean, you, it, you when, know, it's going to be, yeah. it is a testament. It, just, just, like, it definitely you, tells you, you, you like, that's you, the power yeah. of celebrity. And I don't know if that's a good thing, but it definitely like anyone that doubts that the most valuable thing you can have in America is fame. Well, and he's a and an he's an of like evil, egotistical uh, like uh, idiot, yeah. and yet managed to also become president. So that says yeah, a mean, lot about well, us. It says a lot about our culture. He's definitely about, really yeah. fucking stupid in a lot of ways. Like I really actually do think he's like a complete fucking idiot because I yeah. don't think he's like a strategist. And I don't no, think, I think at all. Yeah, but he does also have an incredible instinct. He watches so much TV even to this day, and has an incredible instinct for just like what makes for good TV. And that's yeah. all he and ever did. And that's all he needed. All he ever did was just make good TV, and they kept him on TV. Yeah. and then they. Yeah, and he won the presidency. Won the presidency. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have been aware of this shit. I mean, what is it? Idiocracy. I never even right. saw that movie. People, people oh, yeah. like have been aware of this thing with pop culture in America for a while. Yeah. And I think it's more true here than it is. Maybe it's becoming more true in other countries, but it's like deep in America. Yeah. That like pop culture yeah, is, is, is all, that, all that people care about and people treat you like a god. 
when you're famous. Well, that's why your perspective is very interesting because it came from like like a distaste for pop culture met by an ignorance of pop culture, and all of a sudden you're very much like in. Well, the, I can see it objectively for what it, it is because yeah. I never had any relationship to it. I never knew any celebrity names. I didn't know anything about yeah. celebrity culture. I just saw this shit for what it was, which was a classic musician who was hearing Dark Twisted Fantasy, this insane album being blasted at a house party by people who don't like classical music and seeing what the power of that guy's like Kanye's like fucking story and persona was doing to get this crazy music into the ears of these people. But you know, we're, we're looking forward to, to everything that you're working on, man. Thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's clear that it's not, you're not just the, the artist project, but every aspect of what you you're working on, you're putting a lot into and, I think it's it's coming together in a really cool way. So I, uh, I look forward to drinking more uh, Amaro um, with you, and um, I'm looking forward to, to hearing more, man. Thank Sick. you for being on. For sure. Thank you. Walking in fat light, they all got the damn fight. Everybody's cool but me. I ain't got no Lambo, think I miss a memo. Everybody's cool but me. We would like to thank Jägermeister and Isotope for their early support of Talking Lion.